Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into Hoopsville on this uh, Monday evening. A little bit different uh, schedule as we are broadcasting on a Monday night. It is the 17th of February. Welcome to the last two weeks of the regular season as we trudge along in Division Three. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can uh, email us, hoopsville at D3sports.com. That's email, email is hoopsville at d 3 uh, hoops or do three sports.com. Let me try that again. Hoopsville at D three sports.com. We are simulcasting the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville and YouTube, youtube.com slash D three hoopsville. You can interact with us in those locations. If you so are inclined, um, good night to talk tonight about a many a thing, as they say, and we look forward to talking to you. If you're interacting with us, um, you can also just enjoy the show, even if you're not watching us live. Um, if you're tuned in and you still got a question for us, you are more than welcome to ask it. We will get to it on the next show. Sometimes we even reply right away. Our don- our campaign continues. Our fundraising campaign continues. Uh, we are now up to over $2,600. The goal was to get to 5000 or more by tonight so that our next goal was a little bit more achievable. We shall see the the campaign runs through the end of the month or really March 1st, the end of our broadcasting on March 1st, maybe March 2nd, depending on how much uh, energy I've got to uh, take care of everything. But that's when it's going to wrap up. But we're going to change the goal as of tonight. So either we're closer to the goal uh, and achieve tonight's and thus closer to, to the next one or we're going to be further away. And that's how that works. So we have a tweet that is pinned. We have um Let's see. Uh, Facebook, it's pinned. Uh, we will up. Oh, the show page is updated. We will update. I think it's okay on the on the uh, D three hoops page. I'll, I'll actually check that tonight. Make sure it's working there. I found out there was a glitch with the last one. That's why I do have to update the um, the information on uh, the main page as to our our total. But yeah, it's working there. Just checked it. Working just fine there. So the main page, everywhere you can get it, except for some old pages right now. It's working fine, and we hope you'll consider um, donating to the cause. It helps us uh, stay on the air. Uh, it helps us moving f- into the future for future years. It will especially help us go to Atlanta. Uh, we, are, we, are, we will make a decision on whether we go to Atlanta based on how this campaign goes. And, um, yeah, so there's the truth of it. So by the end of this month, beginning of March, we will know whether we're heading to Atlanta for the championship or not, or at least what our timing will be. Maybe we can do a short trip in Atlanta. I'm not really sure, but that's all based on the campaign at this point. Um, So there you go. If you got questions, again, tweet us, email us, interact with us, however you want to get to it. We do have an email that came in um, earlier today. We're going to have to get to it later in the show, to be honest. It's not one of those that we will be we will be hitting early. Jay had an email regarding uh, Yeshiva, and we will get to that later. Let's talk about the guests that will be on tonight's show. Because that will kind of give you a reason why we'll be moving up uh, or moving that topic to the end. Coming up shortly, we'll be talking to Benedictine women's basketball coach Charlie Avercamp. Um, Charlie Avercamp. We will talk to him about his team, who's won more than 20 games, only lost twice, undefeated in the conference. We will talk to him about really uh, what's making this team click. They've got a 24-game unbeaten streak at home. And I think it's something like a 12-game unbeaten streak on the season. So we'll talk to him about the goings on with uh, his Eagles squad and what he thinks they can do in the conference tournament, maybe the NCAA tournament, should they get there. 
We'll also talk to Berea women's basketball coach Trent Milby. Don't talk a lot about Berea. They're somewhat new to Division Three. They're eligible as of a few years ago. They are on top of the USA South West Division. So the USA South West Division. Try it again. USA South Conference's West Division is a better way of saying it. Uh, can they get to the NCAA tournament? They've been through a lot. Uh, he's even, uh, well, we'll talk to him about what his squad is, is how it's clicking, as it were, and, and learn more about a school that many of you may not know about. They've got some interesting um, ways of doing things, not just academics. Springfield men's basketball senior Jake Ross will join us to talk about his season, the team season, the race in the NUMAC, and his what has been a pretty stellar career. But if if it's going to be all done, if they don't maybe go the long distance, the NCAA tournament, will he be satisfied? We'll talk to him about that. Talk about the squad and more. And then Wesley men's basketball coach Dean Burrows will come on the show. We'll talk about the AEC race, but also we'll see if he'd be willing to at least give us some insight on what's going on at Wesley as we continue to hear about the financial troubles of many schools, Wesley, one in particular. We'll then talk to uh, Bob Quillman and Ryan Scott. They will be on the show. We'll give a quick top 25 kind of take on things from our vantage point, and then we'll start looking ahead at conference tournaments and regional rankings, the second set coming out this week, and so on and so forth. So lots to talk about tonight. We will be going long. Uh, we're, average, we're looking at going about two and a half hours to tonight versus what we usually look to go for two hours and go a little longer. We'll go two and a half tonight for sure. So there you go. Uh, lots of results to talk about, and I just realized I didn't bring my results with me, so bear with me as I bring them up. Again, it was one of those uh, weekends or weeks where the middle of the week, as we mentioned, would be, you know, ended up quiet. And we're like, okay, no shock there, right? And then uh, everything else was a little bit crazier. Um, I just realized something, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stall a little bit here. So the weekend, once again, resulted in, in insanity. Um, I, I don't know how much more to describe it. We tend to get these where the middle of the week is quiet and the weekend is not. I don't know if we've had a weekend where it hasn't been a little bit on the crazy side, to say the least. Um, let's take a look at the women's top 25. Uh, really, interestingly enough, the top 17 held, held firm. But it was after that that things went crazy. George Fox would love to get the weekend back. Number seven, Whitman beat them to start the weekend 70-53, to and then they lost to Whitworth 75-69. So the Wits beat George Fox. They're now 17-6. and The new women's top 25 not out yet. But I'm going to be pretty surprised if George Fox is in it. And this is a George Fox team I saw in Las Vegas that I thought was incredible. They have just not been able to play that way since. St. Thomas lost to Bethel. We mentioned that back on Thursday's show, how big of a, a result that was. They at least got back in the win column against St. Benedict. No surprise, 70-40. to 40. You jumped to number 21, John Carroll. They had a rough week as well. Number 12, Baldwin Wallace beat them earlier in the week, 80-77. to 77. Then Ohio Northern beat them by one on Saturday. And Gettysburg, I'm told, is dealing with an illness. And it showed up this week. I heard as much as half their team may be out. They barely got past McDaniel 71-57 and then lost to Washington College on the road. Now, Washington College, one of the tougher places to play. But the number 22 team in the country lost 77-76, and I'm betting on dollars to donuts just because they probably – I haven't looked at a box score, but I'm pretty sure they had a lot of their players not in action that night. In the meantime, Albright, by the way, 
in the receiving votes category, we mentioned lost to Widener. Uh, they're not going to get back in the top 25 that way. Emery had lost. Harden Simmons had lost. Monsieur Cordia lost this weekend into sales. So, listen, I, Monsieur Cordia is 20 and 3, but I don't think there's anything about Monsieur Cordia that you should know. The schedule's smoke and mirrors. It's a little bit like RPI's men's schedule. When they played some tough opponents like the sales, it's not a game. They lost by 28, 74 46. Albion lost early in the week to Trine and then at least beat Calvin. East Texas Baptist had a mixed weekend, lost a ranked Mary Harden Baylor, but then at least one against Concordia, Texas. So the women's side wasn't horrific. It was interesting, that's for sure. But I don't think it was as crazy as many of us expected. On the men's side of things, however, again, it was a quiet week to start, and then things got a little bit more interesting. St. John's and St. Thomas took... uh, Went to went to went to battle on Saturday in a day game, and now both teams have lost at home to the other. St. Thomas gets the road win, seventy-one sixty-six. By the way, we've already got our new top twenty-five, so we'll talk about that. Uh, St. John's, who had lost, or Johns Hopkins, I'm sorry, who lost to Swarthmore, at least got past Sinus, but a little concerning. It was a seventy-four uh, sixty-eight game. I thought Johns Hopkins would have her Sinus's number better than that. Middlebury was ranked 10, lost to Bates. We'll check out how far they fell. Came out of my top 20. Oh, no, they did. They, hold on. And they hung on to my top 25 by one because I considered the fact that um, they had beaten Tufts uh, early in the week, though Tufts I th- felt was ranked a little too high. Virginia Wesleyan lost a double overtime thriller to Emory and Henry. Marietta at least got back on the win column. Feel bad for Wilmington. They, Marietta beats or loses to Mount Union and then thumps on Wilmington, 105-74. Elmers at least got back in the win column over Milliken, but it wasn't easy. 12-point win there. Tufts had a rotten weekend. Lost twice, both to Middlebury and to Williams. Uh, I removed Tufts out of my top 25, but they were at number 25 to begin with. Babson... Lost to WPI, as we mentioned, but at least got back in the win column against Wheaton. Benedictine got back in the win column against Lakeland. Augustana got back in the win column against Carthage, but 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 it was it was nip and tuck. Carthage, a really good team early, just couldn't keep it going for the rest of the season. Albion lost again, this time to Adrian. Amherst lost to Trinity this weekend before beating Connecticut College. Amherst now 17 and 7. Worcester lost to Wittenberg, and that's key because now the two uh, the two dubs uh, split with each other this season. Uh, it was a close game. Uh, it was only a seven-point win, but a, a good rivalry there. Brandeis lost another back-to-back weekend, this time both to Rochester and Emory. They're now 15-7 and seven as the UAA has beaten up Brandeis just a little bit. Hobart, who had lost to RPI early in the week, be, or lost to RPI this weekend, I should say, beat Vassar, so they had a mixed bag. WNL lost to Randolph-Macon. It wasn't close, 72-50. And Widener lost twice, both to Albright and Alvernia. So an, an interesting mixed bag, but the weekend was very tough for everybody involved uh, in that. So the, now the men's top 25 has come out. Swarthmore has regained two first-place votes. One of them is mine, not because St. John's lost, but because I, of how Swarthmore played when I saw them on Wednesday at Johns at Johns Hopkins. Now, St. John's losing helped that. Uh, Randolph-Macon held on to their first, their two first, oh no, I think they gained a first place vote actually. So now there's two, two voters voting for Randolph-Macon, who's now second. St. Thomas picked up a first place vote. We may hear later who that is. Um, 
and they're third. Uh, St. John's fell from second to fourth. Wittenberg held steady at fifth. So does Nebraska Wesleyan. Platteville moved up one to seventh. Emory moved up one to eighth. Mount Union moved up twice into the top ten to nine. Hopkins fell three to ten. And this is where I start to have issues with some of the voters. We expected them to lose to Swarthmore, right? Because Swarthmore was the number one ranked team, right? If we look at uh, previous top 25s on the men's poll, if you look at week 10, Johns Hopkins had 440 votes or points. They, they lost 33. Now, I didn't move them. I held them right at 10. But to lose 33 votes because you lost to the number one team in the country doesn't add up to me. Now, if voters are concerned because of what they did against Ursinus, I'll buy it. And if they're moving other teams ahead of them, okay, I understand it. But 33 points, that's a lot of points in my book um, for losing to the number one team in the country in a good game, by the way. That wasn't a shabby game. Anyway, Hopkins, though, still in the top 10. North Central moved up to 11. Colby held steady at 12. Watch U moved up to 13. Middlebury fell only four spots from 10 to 14. I find that a little surprising, though. We'd have to look at the point total, to be honest. Springfield moved up five spots to 15. Marietta fell one to 16. Yeshiva moved up four to 17. Virginia Wesleyan fell five to 18. St. Joe's moved up three to 19. St. Norbert moved up three to 20. WPI re-enters the ballot or at the poll at 21. Babson falls three. Honestly, probably should be out at this point. They are not the same team without offering, and he doesn't look like he's coming back. But Babson now 22nd. Elmhurst is 23rd, falling six spots. I took them out of my poll. They have, uh, what is it? Um, they have only won two of their last five games. Lacrosse entered the poll at 24, and Brockport entered at 25. Benedictine and Augustana fell out. Whitworth was eight points away from getting into the top 25. Tufts lost a ton of points. Uh, there's a big gap between Whitworth and Tufts. And then there's a bunch of teams getting votes, but it, that number is starting to shrink significantly. So an interesting top 25, to say the least. Um, Dan asked, well, you retracted a question. I can't see it, Dan, after you pull it back. Can you explain the lack of correlation from D3 top 25 and the D3 bracketology list? Um, well, Dan, that's, that's very simple. The bracketology, um, I assume you're talking about D3 bubble. They're using NCA criteria. The NCA criteria and the top 25 are two very different topics. The top 25 is voters using whatever measurement they want to use to determine who the top 25 programs are in the country. Whether in my case, I'm looking at win-loss percentages. I'm looking at most recently what they've done. I'm looking at uh, who they've played, how they've played against those teams. I'm looking at the strength of the conference. I'm looking at, okay, was there something earlier in the season that was a miss and now they seem to have figured that out and they're rolling along or were they high on my ballot because earlier in the season they were playing really well, but right now they're not. Maybe I've seen them in person like I did Swarthmore on Wednesday and I'm reevaluating my pro point of view on them or Johns Hopkins. Um, name, name Somebody looks at Massey and, and looks at those numbers and goes, hey, you know, hey, there, here's some idea of what, what's going on. And uh, this team's got a really good strength of schedules. Or Massey says that they're really good, so I'm going to move them up. Whatever a voter wants. Maybe they're throwing darts. Maybe they've got 150 teams on a wall and they're throwing darts at them. Um, 
top 25 voters use their knowledge of Division Three, knowledge of teams and conferences and regions to determine, and, and then watching games themselves to determine who they think are the top 25 teams. D3 Bracketology, and I'm assuming you're talking about those who are trying to figure out the bubbles and who are the best teams in the country, are using metrics and or criteria by the NCAA that removes, I would argue, 75% of what D3 voters are looking at. If we're looking at NCAA criteria, which is for regional rankings, for example, you're talking about win-loss percentage, you're looking at NCAA strength of schedule, nothing else but the NCAAs, and you're looking at uh, head-to-head competition, a competition against common opponents as your main criteria. And bracketology, or at least what Matt Snyder does, for example, on his stuff with his metrics, are just using hard and fast data points. They're not using eye test, either the NCAA. They're not using any, uh, you know, any other factors that, that a voter in a top 25 is going to consider. And thus, yes. I mean, it's the same in the D1 conversation. The net, the NCAA net in Division One does not line up with the top 25 of any poll. And that's not to be surprised. Um, the top 25 is not saying, here are the top 25 teams who will make the NCAA tournament. They're not. They're not saying, here are the top 25 data teams, you know, by data. They're not saying, here are the top 25 teams with the best strength of schedule. They're not saying, here are the top 25 teams who are doing well considering their schedule and the amount of points they win by per game. None of the top 25 voters are voting in the same manner. That's why Bob coming on and Ryan coming on and myself, we get different answers because we evaluate those teams differently. We see things in those teams differently from our own individual perspectives. There's 25 individual voters out there on the men's and the women's side. There's only one voter who does both who give their perspectives on things versus hard and fast data. So you're always going to get a difference in those things. And the bracketology guys are looking at NCAA criteria. They are looking at what that criteria only in the end by the NCAA that results in regional rankings. And of course you're going to see differences. Here's another one. That's, that's a factor. I'm looking at a D3 team that didn't play all against D3 opponents, but I'm looking at other opponents they played with. I may factor in, those results in my decision on whether I think they're a top 25 team. Those results are not factored in when it comes to primary criteria for the NCAA, for NCAA rankings. It may come in as, an, as a secondary if another opponent also played that, that school, and it may come in and saying, hey, they're, you know, they're two wins better than, than they are, or they're two losses worse than they are because they played these non-Division three opponents. But, but I can look at those opponents. So that's there's gigantic differences there. And that's why those two things are across the board different. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I don't think we want them to line up. Um, because we're, we're evaluating different things. And I think if we, if, we, if we look at it differently, or if we look at it that way, I mean, if we, if we all of a sudden said the top 25 in the poll should get into the NCAA tournament, I would agree with you. Because I think they're the top 25 of the best teams in the country. But it doesn't mean the criteria with the NCAA lines up to agree with that. And, and we can go back to the Lancaster Bible example, who were on the verge of having possibly having their first loss be in the conference tournament and be left out of the tournament. And many of us were voting them in the top 25. 
But because the criteria used, it wasn't going to line up. Could we improve the criteria? Sure. Could we improve top 25 voting? I'm sure we could argue that. But I don't think we're ever going to line up because one is straight criteria and one is using actual understanding of programs. If they all lined up, something's amiss. And I mean that seriously, because then somehow the criteria has either gotten incredibly perfect and that's never going to happen or they're not using the criteria properly. And that sounds a little strange. I know. Um, would we like to see the top 25 teams make it? Absolutely. And, and a lot of us are, are listen, RPI is not in the top 25 because their strength of schedule is lousy. And, and a lot of voters like myself feel, yeah, you shouldn't even have three losses with that schedule. Um, and so the NCAA agrees with that. So there's, there's examples of that. Um, but it's not foolproof, and, and you are going to get significant differences. The uh, question was whether I have Venmo. I do, but I don't have it set up for this. Uh, side note for anybody who doesn't know, Venmo is owned by PayPal. So they're the same company. <laughs> um, there's probably some millennials blowing their minds with that information if they didn't understand that. Um, but Venmo is owned by PayPal. Um, so I, we, I've debated about setting it up. Maybe we'll see after we set this new goal. I'll, I'll research the Venmo side of things and see if maybe we can start something there, too. But I, I, right now we've, we're set up on PayPal and that's uh, the only one we're set up on currently. So there you go. There's my answer. Uh, I think that's it for now. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll get going into our broadcast. Jay Zuckerman, I know you asked a question regarding Yeshiva. I want to wait for the guys later in the show to ask that question, too, if you don't mind. I don't know if you're tuned in or not, but I uh, hope you don't mind. Uh, ask Quillman how many WIAC teams are rated. Does not pass the eye test. I've seen 20-plus games. Uh, Dan, I'm not following the question. How many that are ranked in the top 25 don't pass the eye test? There's just two in the top 25, Platteville and Lacrosse. Are you talking ranked in the NCAA that aren't passing eye test? Well, of course they aren't, because the eye test isn't part of the NCAA ranking. So I'm not, I'm not following what you're asking specifically. Um, I've seen a lot of games myself online. I'm only voting for one WIAC team. If that gives you any idea of how I feel about it. All right, going to take a break. When we come back, we'll start talking to guests. Just keep sending your questions in. We'll try and sneak in answers along the way. Charlie Averkamp will join us to talk about his Benedictine women's squad, who is on a roll, to say the least. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. More Hoopsville when we come back. has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. 
The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I just wanted to get good grades and to do well. But it also made me realize that I have a lot of career goals. You're there to get a full college experience, not only participate in your sport, but participate in things outside of that. And it's all about growing as a person. My coaches have helped me with figuring out who I really am. Their lives are dedicated for us to succeed. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Broadcasting to you live from the NABC WBCA studios. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us, Hoopsville at D3Hoops, uh, D3Sports.com. I keep forgetting that change. Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. You can also join us on Facebook and YouTube where we're simulcasting the show and interacting. YouTube.com slash D3Hoopsville and Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. All right, so talking women's basketball, a team in the central region that it was pretty nicely ranked in the first regional rankings. I'm sure they were pretty thrilled with how those turned out was the uh, women of Benedictine. They, uh, they are doing pretty well. 14 straight wins overall, 24 at home, and they are perfect in 18-0 and in conference play. Certainly makes you wonder what is going on. Uh, at in uh, Lyle, Illinois, with this program, and how long can this continue? Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline via Skype, it's Coach Charlie Averkamp. Coach, thanks for taking the time to join us. Appreciate it. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about the team here a little bit. Again, 14-game winning streak, 24 games at home. This is a team that last year was 21-4. and four. We're kind of getting a little bit used to you guys succeeding as you've won 18 or more the last four seasons. But this year, your last loss came in Texas uh, right before the new year, and you've been clicking ever since. Uh, tell us a little bit how everything's going. Well, you know, in our non-conference, we really wanted to challenge ourselves this year. I thought we had a, a really good group coming back, and um, in those non-conference games, we really wanted to play teams that were really going to push us because our, our conference, we play 20 conference games. So um, our league has been very, very strong, and I think those non-conference games have really helped us um, in some tough conference games this year. We've had a, a couple fourth quarters where we've made some pretty nice comebacks, but this group just never quits. They stick together. Um, they play together. We've had a lot of people step up a lot of different nights, and I think that really makes the definition of a team, and this team really buys into that kind of idea. Well, there's definitely bought, bought in. Your two losses are to Hope, 92-48, which I'm sure you'd love to get back, that game at Augustana, and East Texas Baptist and that game down in Texas, 66-51. Let's start with the Hope one. That one, I, I'll admit, kind of shocks me a little bit too. 92-48 is exactly the result I'm expecting, but it was game two of the season. Give us a little sense of, of what was amiss there. Well, obviously, Hope's an unbelievable team, and Coach Morehouse does an unbelievable job there. Um, the night before, we had a uh, unbelievable battle with Augustana down to the uh, the last couple seconds, and um, that quick back-to-back for us early in the season. Obviously, we weren't ready for that, but uh, you know, give all the credit in the world to Hope; they're unbelievable. Um, but yeah, we'd love to have a little bit more of that one back. We we think we could give a little better of a show. I'm sure. Um... Again, the trip to Texas played Laterno and East Texas Baptist. Not too bad opponents there. I'm assuming that's just one of those timing things. I mean, East Texas Baptist, though, good squad themselves. Yeah, both Laterno and East Texas Baptist, both really well coached, um, played a lot of really good games down there. And, and anytime on those trips, there's so much that goes into it. Um, but give all the credit in the world to East Texas for kind of taking it to us right away. I thought we did a really good job coming back and battling. Um, but I think it really set us up for that conference run in January starting. Since then, undefeated in conference play, you had a couple interesting games that jump out at me. MSOE back on the 16th of January, a 50-41 to 41 affair. Dominican 49-44. You don't have a lot of low-scoring affairs. Wisconsin Lutheran in overtime, 59-56. <laughs> you don't get a lot of those kinds of close games. Tell us a little bit about what's driving games that are, that are low-scoring versus what tends to be pretty decently scoring or high-scoring affairs for you guys? Yeah, I think we have a lot of good coaches in our conference that um, really kind of, you know, game plan against us. Obviously, we have a lot of size compared to some teams, so they really kind of have to try to slow us down. As a team, we talk all the time about trying to get that score up in the 70s. We think we're really hard to beat when that score can get up there because we think we have a lot of firepower um, to get kind of that score up there, and we know we're always going to defend. We talk about how defense goes with you everywhere we go. Um, obviously, sometimes, you know, shots aren't falling, and, you know, you got to give credit to those teams. But, you know, we, we've still found a way to, to come out on top. And um, at the end of the day, that's what, you know, is important to our kids. And it's if we win by one or 50, as long as that W comes to Benedict, then. The Wisconsin-Lutheran game, by the way, coming down to overtime. Uh, I don't have the video in front of me because I forgot to call it up and I was going to show it. Uh, but uh, that was a thrilling finish. Wisconsin-Lutheran certainly represented this conference well the last few years, especially in the tournament. Uh, you were enthusiastic, let's just say, uh, when that shot 
went in to win it. Uh, what did it mean to beat Wisconsin Lutheran? Why were why was it such a big win for you guys? Well, that's the, the Wisconsin Lutheran first and foremost has been unbelievable for the conference. Them and Concordia University of Wisconsin have really kind of laid the groundwork for um, you know what you want to do in in this league. And um, obviously Lutheran with a huge you know season last year and this year being the first time in school history to defeat them twice um, was an unbelievable feat for this team. Um, you know, anytime you're down five with 20 seconds left and, um, you know, Alex Fanning just steps up and hits a huge shot for us. And, uh, you know, sometimes the excitement just gets to you and you, you, you don't know what your body's going to do. <laughs> I understand, sir. I understand. We, we won't fault you for it. Yeah, no. Um, two games on the road left to come. Concordia, Chicago, Concordia, Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin's five games back of you guys, obviously trying to fight out, fight it out for the right conference spot concordia chicago is is pretty much out of the conversation at this point you've got a two-game lead on edgewood so there's still a lot to play for here even though technically you kind of own the tiebreakers i assume you want to finish strong here and not kind of stumble into the tournament yeah absolutely you know we, we clinched a, a share of the championship on saturday which was the first um NAC championship in school history so that was real exciting and i'm um, getting our 21st win we tied the school record for wins um, and so we talked today at practice about how big that, that CUC game is on Wednesday because it's the next game on our schedule. We've really had that mentality of playing that next game is the most important one because they all count the same. Um, and obviously we go out with a chance to, you know, break our school record for wins that we broke last year. So we're really focused on each game individually and I'm excited for that challenge on Wednesday at CUC. Won't get into the weeds too much on this, as we've already talked a lot about it. But Benedictine, of course, a couple of years ago was on its way to Division Two before pulling the parachute ripcord, as it were, uh, yeah. and, and coming back into Division Three, uh, deciding this was the better route. You had been scout, uh, I should say, recruiting with D two in mind there for a while. I know you guys weren't fully into D two yet, but you were kind of with that mentality. How much of it was a was a tough change? Just change gears as it were and how much did you have to can you know kind of convince players that this was the right place to stay anyway well luckily for none of the, the kids we have with this group it was the idea that this possibly could happen um the ones would really be that kind of three weeks in, in july when we were you know once we did finally get accepted but that would be this year's freshman class and that was kind of by the wayside by the end of it um there wasn't a whole lot because these kids we're really bought into Benedictine, really bought into the program, um, and have really thrived in the program. So I couldn't be more proud of them. Certainly, obviously, you bringing in players that you know there, there were no scholarships necessarily. But as you said, there was this idea that hey, we may go D two or we are going D two. This is an opportunity for you. Was it? Was there any hard feelings, or was it okay? Whatever, it's the same for us as, as it has been. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like that. It was kind of at first, you know, they like okay, what's going on, or what are we doing? But then it was kind of just business as usual. The only the group I feel really bad for with that whole thing was last year's seniors not getting the chance to play in that conference tournament um, because those kids, you know, four years and they've really set the groundwork for that for, for our program. You know, DeAndre Williams, Casey Williams, Benita Drain, they they stuck with us throughout and um, they graduated last year, like I said, with 21 wins. So they went out really, really well. I couldn't be more proud of them. And obviously, the, this you know group lost a chance at a tournament opportunity last year. So, you know, we talked about how every game is so important. And, um, you know, credit to our kids. They've just really bought into that and have done really well. 
Yeah, we should point out again, 21-4, and four, the perfect 25 games, meaning no conference tournament. It was, it was a, uh, uh, let's call it a concession for coming back into Division Three, as it were, in the conference. Uh, a little bit about your team. Allison uh, Mikulski, did I say that correctly? Mikulski. Mikulski, it is Chalski. Okay, 16 points a game, five and a half rebounds a game. Uh, Alex Fanning, as you already talked about, 13 points a game, 12 rebounds a game for that double-double. She's also one of the top assist um, uh, individuals on the team. Brittany uh, Pitzer comes in at 10 points a game. We'll also Claire Gibbler will call her double figures at 9.7. She also has, um, well, not the team high, uh, Perot. Uh, Hannah Perot has the team high in, in assist. But tell me about that, that kind of core group there, not only the points but the rebounds and assist numbers. Obviously, it starts with fanning. Yeah, I mean, Alex is kind of the anchor inside for us. Um, she does a really good job offensively and defensively of kind of being someone that we can count on. She's one of the best passers um, that we've ever seen kind of for her size. She, she sees the floor. She's a really willing passer um, defensively, obviously, leading the conference and rebounding and, you know, nationally ranked with that and um, obviously blocks a lot of shots for us. So she, she really helps us on that defensive end. Um, and then you look at Allison, our leading scorer. She is a, a matchup nightmare in our league. She's one of the most athletic kids um, on the court at all times. Um, left-handed, can score at all three levels. Just someone who has that kind of scoring mentality, um, which really kind of feeds off Alex's willingness to, to be such a good passer. Um, and they've really kind of gelled together um, this kind of second year playing with each other, kind of knowing where each other is, knowing um, who's getting hot, and, and they really buy into They don't really care who scores as long as we score and as long as our team scores. And then, obviously, on the wing with Claire Gibbler and Brittany Pitzer, they've really come into their own as sophomores. Um, they've been able to shoot the basketball at a very high percentage. I know Brittany's, um, you know, top 10 nationally in three-point percentage. Claire's right there, um, and Claire's just improved ever everything that she's done on the defensive end and is really, you know, I think she's second on her team in block shots. And um, last but not least, kind of Hannah Pyro just leading the show. I mean, she does a good job, pushes the basketball at all times. Um, she's our best perimeter defender. Um, she always has to guard the other team's best players. And obviously being a point guard, um, she has to deal with me the most of me just getting on her when everyone else screws up because it's always her fault. And <laughs> she's really blind into that. She's really blind into that role. And, um, yeah, we, you know, that, that group has really kind of led us. And then um, off the bench, Ashley Brown as a senior has been unbelievable and gave us a lot of lift. Reggie Much coming in as a junior um, had a lot of big minutes. And Lisa DiOrio um, has really come in as a junior. And, you know, kids just buying in the program year after year um, has really been huge for us and kind of, you know, establishing ourselves as a program that uh, has been successful. We should point out, too, this is a young team. You mentioned seniors. Uh, there's two of them. But everybody we've talked about otherwise are sophomores, except for the, for Michalski, who's a junior. This is a team that's going to be reloaded for next year and is going to be in tremendous shape for the year after that. That's got to that's gotta feel pretty good as a coach when you're heading out into the recruiting trail that, A, you've got some really good pieces, but those pieces can help you bring in better pieces. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, you kids want to see kids that want to play with each other and – um, you know, we're obviously trying to build something here that, um, you know, is, is something sustainable. I think that's any coach's dream when they start a program is they don't want to be a flash in the pan. They want to create something that is sustainable. And, and Benedictine is, a you know, a, a great place to look at the men's side. Coach Bunkenberg's been here for a long time and really set the bar um, for what you can do here basketball-wise. And, 
you know, what just an unbelievable person to be able to pick his brain and, and get to learn from and grow. Um, but yeah, we're, we're looking for pieces that want to, to be coached, to be successful and to be challenged. Um, real quick, it was Wisconsin Lutheran's been tough to gauge how good they are because of the conference uh, and, and the and the conference schedule leaves, you know, not great amount of games you can play out of conference. So I guess you know, you're sitting third in the regional rankings. The next set will come out with obviously more data to grab from. How good are you guys? How dangerous could you be in the NCAA tournament? Well, I think you look at the last couple of years, Wisconsin Lutheran goes up and beats Wesleyan in the first round of the of the NCAA tournament last year. And there was talks of them being 24-1 and not getting in. And, you know, from us in our league, I mean, that was a complete joke because they're definitely one of the best teams in the region by far. Um, you look at the, you look at teams this year, Lutheran goes out, beats DePaul. Um, CUW loses on a buzzer beater to Whitewater. Um, you know, and, and I think that, you know, we've we've set ourselves up and really challenged ourselves with, you know, East Texas being very good, Laterno really good. Um, we played, you know, Augustana and North Central out of the always tough CCIW, and, and they're giving, you know, everyone games in, the, in that conference. So, um, yeah, I love our team. I love our chances. Um, you know, they're just an unbelievable group, and they deserve it. They, they work their butts off, and I, I think we, we have size. I think we have perimeter shooting, um, and I think we have depth, and I think those are all good things that will translate to, you know, late February basketball. Sure. Now, it's fascinating to see, again, 14-game winning streak, but more importantly, home's important, 24-game winning streak there. Uh, you obviously have two more on the road here, but things then come through your neck of the woods uh, in Lyle and a chance to, to control things in the conference. How important is that home court, and how important will it be in the conference to make sure you win out? Yeah, I think that's the, the big thing is each game is so, is so important. We want to you know put ourselves in the best position possible. Obviously, that third um, spot in the regional rankings was an, an unbelievable achievement for the group, but we don't, like I said, we don't want to be a team that, you know, was talked about as being good at that beginning. We want to keep playing our best basketball um, towards the end, and, and we played really well up at Lakeland on Saturday, a team that almost beat us at home the first time. Um, kids are really buying into the scouting reports. They're defending at a high level, and, and, and again, it's that, that whole thought mentality of uh, we don't care who does it as long as one, someone on our team does it, and you know, for, for our conference, like I said, we, we have to make sure that we take every game, um, you know, as, as a championship type game. And um, being at home is a thing that we really worked hard for. Um, the Rice Center has been a really nice home court for us. And, um, you know, we want to see all the Benedictine fans and faithful out cheering us on the conference tournament. It's nice when you can sleep in your own bed. Oh, that's true. It is, it is nice. Hey, appreciate the time. Appreciate the insight on the squad. Uh, keep Bunkenberg in line for me, if you don't mind. Yeah, even Calderwood. <laughs> that's a full-time job, actually. I that's, a, that's more of a full-time job than just coaching it. Yeah, true. Yeah, <laughs> good point. Yeah, I can't help you with that. Good luck with it. Uh, appreciate all the time. As always, we give the coach the final word. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with those tuned in? Uh, I just want to say thank you for all you do for Division Three. Um, I think it's just an unbelievable platform that you give players and coaches and everything, and so we couldn't do that without you. And then um, from, you know, just thank you to Benedictine for, for the opportunity and um, all of our team and our, our fans and our, and our parents. And, you know, I just have an unbelievable group of assistant coaches that get to work with every day that really believe in our team and in our program. So I'm a lucky guy in a lucky place. You are, sir. It's a great place. And uh, we're glad you guys are still in Division Three. Glad to see the program doing so well. Good luck the rest of the way. Look forward to talking about the Eagles down the road. Thank you. He is Charlie Averkamp joining us. I probably just botched the name, overthinking it. (laughs) 
Anyway, uh, 21 and 2, 18 and 0 in conference play. Two more conference games in conference tournament. We'll see where they are regionally ranked this week. I'm really curious. I think they're going to have a results versus regionally ranked that's going to kind of keep them in that third spot, but we'll see. Lots of data changes week to week. I'll be fascinated to see where they they sit after, um, well, on Wednesday. Let's take another break. When we come back, we will keep with the women's topic. We will jump into Kentucky. You didn't know there was another Kentucky team in Division Three, did you? Brea joins us. Trent Milby talks about his squad and what they're doing in the USA South. You listen to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To to stop stop sexual sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. I used to never really talk, ever. I was scared and shy. It was hard to look at people's faces. I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. I made friends and won lots of gold medals. But I learned more than just playing golf. Special Olympics helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else 
is speechless. back to Hoopsville, everybody, on this Monday evening. Thanks to my schedule on Sunday. Couldn't do the show on Sunday evening, but I appreciate you tuning in tonight. For those of you, oh, that's very kind. Just got a new, uh, a new, uh, we'll add to the total here. We just got a new uh, donation. Uh, uh, those of you who are expecting to be listening to the, your podcast on your Monday, I apologize for screwing that up. I know there's some of you who do that on your way to work. Uh, at least it was a holiday, so maybe we didn't screw up things too much. So you can enjoy it on Tuesday ahead of the regional rankings, which will come out on wednesday we're still waiting for the women's top 25 hasn't been updated as of yet sometimes it gets a little bit delayed for multiple reasons uh but the men's new top 25 is out we talked a little bit about that still ahead we'll talk some men's basketball with jane uh senior jake uh jake ross at springfield and uh we'll also talk to wesley men's basketball coach dean burrows and then ryan scott and bob Quillman quillman will join me we'll talk about that top 25 but then we'll also start looking ahead at conference tournaments and who may be in jeopardy of not making the ncaa tournament All right, so women's basketball, uh, one team that uh, will be new this year, uh, at least to the show, and one I've been saying with a little bit more fancy uh, flair than probably is necessary, is the Berea Mountaineers. The squad being led by Coach Trent Milby is 22-3 overall. They are 15-1 in the USA South uh, Conference's West Division. This is a program that doesn't have a lot of experience in Division Three. after transitioning in from NAIA. They certainly seem to be doing well now. So joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it is the aforementioned Trent Milby. Coach, first and foremost, thanks for joining us here at Hoopsville. Welcome to the program, and uh, congratulations on what's been a tremendous season so far. Well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Uh, your three losses, uh, one of them was unfortunately recently against Piedmont. Uh, if we look back about nine days ago, you guys lost that one 62-50, but you guys have been on a roll prior to that. Your last losses were Birmingham Southern back in November 26th and Transylvania back on November 9th. We'll get to the quirkiness of that schedule in a minute, but you got to be pretty happy with how the season has progressed to this point because you guys have been clicking right along. Yeah, I mean, we started out, you know, bringing in a couple new freshmen. Didn't know how they were going to, you know, you never know how they're going to interact with the upperclassmen, but uh, our seniors took them under their wing, and they fit right in. Uh, we was on a 16-game winning streak, and uh, Piedmont, who's becoming our rival in uh, in our conference, mm-hmm. uh, they beat us last week, and hopefully that uh, is a good thing for the long haul for us. Yeah, I was going to say, just sometimes I, I, I hate asking this question, but sometimes when there's a team that's on a roll or undefeated or hasn't lost in forever, and in your case, I'd put you in the forever category, um, sometimes I wonder if a loss late in the season wouldn't be all that bad. It's almost a reminder that, hey, you know, we got to get back to what we want to do fundamentally, or a coach may be struggling to kind of wake them up to what they're doing wrong. Is that, is that appropriate for things like a Piedmont loss, that maybe it's the right t- thing at the right time for you guys? Uh, it may be. I mean, we we uh, shot like eighteen percent for the game, so uh, kind of got us back to 
uh, doing some more shooting stuff like that. But you know, I've part of me don't want to lose, but <laughs> the other side of me, the other side of me, it's a good thing sometimes. So hopefully, we'll see how it goes. Uh, that loss in the in the long run, it really don't hurt us because uh, we actually have home court right throughout the tournament. So uh, it didn't hurt us at the time, but right. We'll see how that goes. Today. Yeah, you had the USA South wrapped up uh, again. You were leading the West Division uh, over Piedmont by now two games. With uh, what did you have two to play? Oh, you have one to play. Oh no, no you're done. No, we're done. That's right, because the USA started. South's getting going. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, why we, we had you on. Yeah, our tournament starts Wednesday night, and we got to buy. Uh, so we play Saturday. Well, that's one of the reasons I had you on was because the tournament was starting. You'd think I would remember that, but you yeah. might just get to know me. Those tuned in will remember. I tend to forget those little details. Um, on the other side of things, William Peace it ended up winning their side of things. They had a one-game lead on North Carolina Wesleyan. But the most important thing is you control things at this point. Uh, it does come through your gym at the Seabury Center. One, you get to sleep at home. But two, everybody's got to travel to Kentucky to play you guys Feels like it's a bit of an advantage, especially the buy. That said, you're going to play with. You're not going to play for a week. Is, is that a, is that a concern or is it perfect? Because it lets everybody kind of rest up, lick some wounds, and be ready for the for the big push. Well, it's perfect for us because we've had we've had some little nagging injuries for the last three four weeks, and so they get to rest up. And the past two years, we've we've tied. Um, in our conference, and we've lost the tiebreaker. Mm. So we had to go on the road. Well, this year, we're fortunate enough to, to win the tiebreaker with William Peace because it's uh, an even year, so the West is automatically the home team. So, uh, But we have to take care of Saturday first, and then uh, the next weekend would be the Final Four. Right. Uh, I'm curious about it, too, because you guys have played 14 games since the turn of the new year, and for most, they probably think, oh, that's not that big a deal. But you guys had a, an interesting start to the season. You squeezed in seven games in the opening month and really the opening uh, 15 days, 16 days roughly, from November 9th to November 26th, you played seven games. Then you just played four in the month of December, um, three of them coming in the span of four days, and then you took a couple weeks off. So you kind of had kind of an interesting flow to the season. Is this another good reason to have a week off? You kind of get a breather after kind of going along for a while? Well, that too. And and the way our school set up and uh, as far as our students, they go home and stuff, that two-week period, there's always usually uh, what we do in previous years. And, again, we're pretty new to the Division Three. It's mm-hmm. our third year. Uh, so we're still learning uh, the scheduling part of it. Uh, next year, obviously, we're gonna we're gonna play in a Christmas tournament after after Christmas, okay. so that'll break that up some. Oh, that's certainly nice. Yeah, the Christmas tournaments are a popular thing in Division Three, but not everybody does them. Um, let's talk a little bit about this team. You mentioned third year. You guys are eligible at this point in time for a lot of things. Uh, so I know you're playing for more than just. Uh, your own personal bragging rights, as it were. But tell me a little bit about the transition um, from from what was an NAIA program. I know you jumped in uh, to this uh, the 2013-2014 season, so you're you were kind of on the tail end of that transition, correct? Yeah, I did. Um, my first year at Berea, we were we were still NAIA, and then my second year we started the transition, which we had to have three years 
you know, in that right. phase. Um, so the scheduling was really difficult. And then we finally got full membership uh, three years ago. Right. So um, what was it? You came from high school uh, as well. You were a really yes. good high school coach, 208 wins uh, in Marion County. Uh, doing well there. What drew you to Berea? And did you know when you came that they would be leaving the NAIA, or did that happen after you came on board? No, during the interview, uh, during the interview period, they they told me that they were going to transition to the NCAA Division Three. Uh, so that kind of piqued my interest a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, there, I did high school for eleven years. Um, with the last year being. 2013, and we went 39 and zero, and won um, the Kentucky High School State Championship, which is which is one class. It's the only state with one class. Oh, okay, the old Indiana uh, style. The, yeah, old Indiana style. Yeah, so I was like, well, and, and they were all graduates, and this opportunity <laughs> came up, and I was like, well, I might as well take it. Yeah, absolutely. Take this leap and and try it out, and it's paid off. It certainly has. You've done very well. Uh, In six years, I think 103 wins. So we'll add on the ones now. You're at 125 wins in Division Three all-time. You're over 400 wins for your career. It certainly has worked out well. I know the scheduling's been challenging, but it feels like that's starting to settle down a little bit. Is there anything else you're still trying to learn about the Division Three or the NCAA side of things? Well, we're trying to to play more division three teams uh this year we we got up to 20 uh we still had to play five nai teams uh next year um right now it looks like we're going to have probably 24 division three teams so obviously that'll help us in the regional rankings yeah. and, and stuff like that so the so scheduling parts it's 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 been kind of you know, as far as travel goes, mm-hmm. uh, just trying to find local teams. And there's a lot of Division three teams in Indiana and um, Ohio. So you're in a, a little closer than, than Georgia and yes. North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, you're in a weird little kind of hole in Division three where you're surrounded technically in the map by a lot of Division threes, but they're not necessarily nearby. Now, there's center in Tennessee, certainly. Unfortunately, Thomas Moore left. Otherwise, you'd have that. Uh, you do have to write. You have Transylvania, yep. obviously, nearby yep. as well. So there's a few, but there's not a ton. And so, yeah, as you, as you point out, there's some travel involved. The other thing, too, is, and I'm told by your SID, you had to adjust to this as a high school coach coming into college, but it's something I had never heard of. We're used to the players having – you know, high academic demands as most division three schools have, but your players have more than that going on. They all have jobs and that's mandated. Correct. Yes. Every student that attends Berea college has a job. Uh, they're required to work at least 10 hours a week, Hmm. which is, you know, roughly two hours a day. Uh, you know, the jobs aren't real strenuous. I mean, you got dining services, uh, you could be a teacher assistant. Um, you could work in athletics. Uh, you could work at the Seabury Center. Uh, we also have a farm. I don't know anybody that, that works on the farm, but there are <laughs> students that do. Okay. <laughs> what, so, what's the premise behind it? What's the idea? I, I have a theory, but I want to hear it your side of it first. It's just more of a work study. I mean, it's okay. just how Berea has always done since... You know, long as long as they've been 
1865 or something like that. But and they get a little paycheck too. So sure. It's a little little spending money for them. So is it's it's a little bit of right. You get some spending money. It obviously gives them some work experience. That was kind of my angle on yes. it. I've always said yes. that schools, uh, especially those who are trying to do web streaming, should work with the schools to make it a job for student athletes or students in general because it makes a great work experience. We want to prepare them for the work world, right? Um, yes, it's also good for the resume. Exactly. So, absolutely. Yeah. Adds to that. And But you're also saying there's a bit of a work-study side of it, too. So there's an element of it of also helping them pay for their their for their education is that fair of saying as well well yeah that and uh you know berea college is a no tuition so if, oh, you get okay. in, if, if you're fortunate enough to get in berea college wow. uh, you have no tuition yeah wow that's but it's amazing very difficult it's very difficult to get in i have gathered that i don't know enough about berea i've been learning more in the last couple of weeks as, as i was looking to get you on the show so uh, I didn't realize it was no tuition. That certainly drives a, a lot yeah. of ships. Um, how? But from your vantage point, how do you schedule? Uh, not games. I mean practices. Because not only do you have to work around the academic schedule, but now you got to work around everybody's work schedule. Now people make fun of me um, <laughs> a lot at this. That my first couple years, we had trouble keeping kids eligible. So as the years went on, I decided we're going to practice a little less than I did at the start. So, you know, obviously at the first, October 15th for, you know, up to the first game, we're, we're, we're usually at two hours a day, five days a week. Uh, as the year goes on, we cut that down. Here since probably this semester, January, Tent, something like that. We've we've started practicing once or twice a week, just yeah. so they could stay on top of their academics, uh, do their work, make sure they have the hours. Because if they don't do the hours, you can still get put on work probation. Wow! So we have to make sure that they're good there. We got to make sure they're good in the classroom. Uh, I think our 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 team led led in GPA this time at three point four or something like that so that was a good thing and we're winning so that helps (laughs) that helps a lot do you get help do do they adjust work schedules to try and give you time i'm going to circle back on something you said in a minute but do they at least try and adjust schedules or is that the schedule and you're the one who has to adjust a little of both okay uh a lot of the supervisors will work with the athletes okay um and and the, and the students can kind of schedule their own work hours when they know what the practice schedule gotcha. is. Did you say you're only practicing once or twice a week? Yes, we practice. But we're normally here for the last month, about two two times a week. That's of course we had a lot. Of course we had a lot of injuries. Oh well, that helps. So we we've had some injuries that that I just kind of uh, just wanted to heal. Sure, uh, we've got a senior dominated team. So they've been here. Okay. They've won twenty games. They've won twenty games for four years now. So they know what I expect and how we do things. And they've, you know, they feel they they look refreshed each and every game. I'm just looking at the month of February, where actually you've had a lighter schedule than in January. And again, yeah. because you're starting the tournament, so you played on Saturday the first and Sunday the second, and then Wednesday the fifth, and then Saturday the eighth. Then you had a week off and played the 15th. Now we're talking to you, and you won't play until the 22nd. In that yeah. time, I see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine days 
where you could have practiced. Granted, NCAA rules means you, you got to take one day off per week, so we'll make it seven. And you're saying you've only practiced maybe three of those days. Maybe yeah, four. Who, who, yeah. Who did we play February 5th? Uh, the 5th you played Covenant I, at home. Okay. That was the game where we played that Saturday, Sunday, the first and second. Right. We were kind of beat up. It's a lot. It's like an eight now, eight or nine hour bus ride yes. for us. Yes. They had to get up early Monday morning, have to work. We took both days off. Wow. And we scored 100 points on <laughs> yes, Wednesday night. Yes, uh, Yeah, on Wednesday against Wesleyan, you put 109 up. So you... Well, I'm talking about against Covenant. Uh, Covenant. the two days off. Oh, I've got you at 81, but it's still impressive. Did you even have meetings? No, that was the first time. That was the first time we played oh, okay. Covenant. Did you guys... Oh, All that's... Right. Yeah, that's true. Did you... Do you even have meetings to at least talk about the opponent, or was it just completely off? Yeah, and then my, my my assistant and myself will send out scout report and stuff wow. like that, and then we'll, you know, we'll discuss. I'm more of a coach that I'm worried about myself. If if our team does what we want to do, then we'll be just fine. And we try to figure out, you know, the other teams one or two options, and that's how our, our defensive game plans always is. That's fascinating. You're doing a tremendous job considering the challenges. Obviously, the time off now is, is much needed. Quickly, let's talk about your team. You talked about the fact you've got a number of seniors, but you're actually led by two freshmen. Yeah. Uh, Alea Hampton at 20.5 points a game, also three rebounds, two assists per game, uh, two steals a game. Destiny Combs, a freshman, 11 points a game. She's pulling down six and a half rebounds a game along with two assists as well, two steals for her. Then a sophomore in Bailey Van Over at 9.6 points. Brianna Lonman, a senior at nine points. And Bethany Williams, a senior at eight points. Your leading rebounder is Combs, followed by Landman. I'm sorry, uh, I should have mentioned Nakisha Green. She's actually your leading rebounder. She's got 9.9 rebounds per game along with her four points. So as you talk about the the seniors who can obviously run the ship to some degree, you've got a couple of stud freshmen. We do. And and, and to say about the seniors, Bethany Williams is a 1,000-point scorer and Brianna Lanham's a 1,000-point scorer. Hmm. Nakisha Green just broke the all-time rebounding record um, at Berea here a couple games ago. Wow. But, yeah, the, the freshmen came in – you know, you you never know what to expect. I mean, I knew they were I knew they were really good. Uh, Aaliyah Hampton, I didn't know that she would average twenty twenty one points a game, but she's been <laughs> fantastic. She's she's athletic. She can drive the basket. She shoot mid range. She shoot a three. Uh, she's a elite defender. Um, mm. Destiny Combs, she's been having a little nagging injury with her. Uh, knee, it's getting sore here and there, but we're trying to limit her in practice and stuff like that to have her ready to go this weekend. And I mean, they just, they came in and, and just, you know, like I said, the seniors took them under their wings and they fit right in from the start. Well, you talk about 2,000 point scorers as seniors. They also not only took them under their wings, they got to probably check their egos at the door too. When you got two freshmen leading the way in scoring, yeah. they probably had to understand, hey, this is better if I'm not the one scoring. Well, they've, they've, you know, every year, every year since their freshman year, they've been told that by me. <laughs> and uh, I always tell them every year I'm trying to recruit somebody better than you. Well, and they sure. know that. They know that. And uh, they've run with it. And they've, they've had a very successful career. I think right now they're 88 and 20. So with 
two. Now this was our third third year in a row we've won the Western Division. Yes. So hopefully we can win the tournament and get over at home. Well, it'd be it'd be amazing to see you guys playing in March. That's for sure. Um, I, I I'm fascinated with your team. I thought you know I'd learned a lot from your SID and, and research more. I've learned a lot more from you. On top of that. Um, I, I'm glad you guys are in Division Three, to be honest, and uh, and maybe we'll find some more in your neighborhood to join Division Three too to help you guys out. But um, and then sometime sometime off the air, if you ever get a chance, call me. I'll tell you the uh, what it takes to get in Berea. Yeah, no, it'll that amaze, it'll amaze you even more. No, that I definitely want to hear about sometime. Uh, I may give you a ring someday down the road and learn more about it. Uh, it's a fascinating institution, and I, I'm glad you get, gave us the time to talk about it. I, I, I'd love to talk more, but we're out of time. But congratulations on what has been a tremendous season to this point in time. And I know work is not done. You've got more ahead of you, and, and we wish you luck. We have tradition on this show. We always give the guests the final word. Is there any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? I just appreciate the opportunity to be on here and, and let people just research Berea, and maybe it fits you. You never know. Good point. Uh, fascinating. Thank you for the time. Really impressive what you guys are able to accomplish, considering not only the challenges, but what you guys are just doing in general. Uh, I'm impressed, and uh, good luck the rest of the way, and especially in the tournament coming up uh, next, uh, this weekend. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks. Trent Milby joining us here on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Uh, again, I'd done a little bit of research. I got enough to be dangerous, as they say, and their SID had given me some fascinating points of view. Uh, I didn't, I, yeah, I either missed the no tuition part completely. Um, I may have missed it because I was so fascinated in the jobs aspect. And I'm, I'm glad Coach Milby gave us a, an insight on all of that. But again, they've only lost one game since the end of November. Uh, that game, of course, coming back on the 8th against Piedmont. But they then went out and exploded for 106 points against Wesleyan. They're hosting the tournament, meaning the entire USA South women's side has to go to Berea um, in Berea, Kentucky. And that's an advantage. And we may be talking about Berea in the NCAA tournament. And we're probably going to be talking about those two freshmen in Hampton and Combs in years to come. Great to chat with Coach Milby. Really appreciated his time. And uh, looking forward to learn more about Berea in the USA South in the future. When we take, we're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll learn more about uh, men's basketball at, uh, at Springfield, but not from Charlie Brock. We'll hear from Jake Ross. We've been enjoying his career to date. We'll learn more about it from his perspective when we come back. You listen to Hoopsville presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. More Hoopsville after this. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. It's on us. It's on all of us. 
and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game when he shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no look pass and cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success and prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go on a personal trainer and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Um... Just as we were about to come back from break, got another um, another uh, donation from um, Douglas for $200. Really appreciate that, sir. Uh, another a couple of coaches tonight have donated to the show. We've uh, brought in just tonight 275 so we're at 2900 on our way to 5000 for tonight. Our goal is by the end of tonight, if you're on the podcast, by the time you're done with your podcast, uh, to be done at, at five thousand, we're raising the goal after tonight. That is that is happening no matter what, and this will just make it easier to get to that goal. We're going to be running all the way through March one, through the end of Selection Sunday, or maybe our Matchup Monday show, depending on how much time I have to focus on it. Um, and then that will be it. Uh, this will be money to help us move forward with the show, uh, update gear. I've got an audio board that's tremendous, but I want to update it with a, a new one that's maybe better for us. Maybe a little less noise in the background you probably can hear. Um, 
and some other factors. Um, and we want to go to Atlanta for the Final Four, to be blunt. And with a second back surgery needed for me and um, work that I do with Major League Baseball, World Team Tennis, and lacrosse season, uh, the avenue, the opportunity for that is later in the year, but I will miss a significant amount of work for that. So I may not be able to go to Atlanta for that because of costs I need to hold on to for the missed time at work. You kind of understand. Um, so that's kind of where a lot of this fundraiser is going uh, to ask if you're wondering. It also goes to pay the bills um, when I am in Atlanta or something like that. So it just gives you some sense of what we plan to do. Um, we also do not plan to have another water problem in this basement. Uh, and thus, we hope we aren't repainting the studio yet again. But that's where some of the cost goes to. All right, let's talk men's basketball as we switch gears here. Um, Springfield has been a team that has been in the conversation for a number of years. Charlie Brock always has a tremendous program. Uh, in the last four seasons, though, it, it was hard not to talk about Springfield because of a player they had named Jake Ross, who has been fun to watch, to say the least. He has been um, a flash in the pan in, in some games, and in other games, he is a machine. Uh, it results in a lot of points. He's over 2,000 for his career. Uh, by the way, uh, Ryan Scott just writing an article about some of the 2,000-point scores this year in Division Three men's basketball. More importantly, just got added to the Vivo, uh, the, the Bevo 50 uh, watch list for the Bevo Francis or the Francis Bevo Award. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology, we don't get to do this often enough, and we should do it more often. But we got Jake Ross, a senior guard at Springfield, joining us, getting to talk to a student athlete. Sir, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Absolutely. Um, let's start with this season, and we'll work our way back, if you don't mind. Um, currently 20-3, and three, you guys jumped up to number 15 in today's top 25. You're 11-1 and one in the new Mac. Uh, your three losses kind of spread out. Amherst tripped you up at the beginning of early December. Middlebury got you in early uh, January, and, and Emerson got you in mid-January. You've had some close calls, and we'll talk about them as well. But from your vantage point, how has this season gone? This this season's been pretty good overall. Uh, I think we've had we've had our fair share of adversity, um, but we've overcome some of those, and I think we've learned from those so those losses from those three teams are all pretty solid teams. Um, Amherst and uh, Middlebury always very well known, and Emerson winning our conference last year, so. Um, it was good to be able to bounce back recently and beat Emerson at home. But uh, so far this year, things have been going really well for our team. You guys have been a, a team for me that's been hard to read, uh, and we can go back to the last few years too. But uh, this year, I, I know I took pause a few weeks ago when you guys went double overtime against, I know, a tough opponent in Coast Guard, uh, and you won 105-99, but you put up 50 and one, or 55 points, 21 rebounds, and handed out three assists. And my only thought was, it's a good thing Jake was there. Um, do, you don't have to be called on to do those games all that often, but tell me a little bit about what happened in that one. Um, I just think sometimes, uh, I mean, it's a grueling conference, and it was we've been on a run, and sometimes teams don't show up, and I think sometimes we, we need guys to step up and, for instance, last game I I didn't I didn't have my best game in, in any means, and Heath went for 25 points and 18 rebounds. So um, we have guys that can step up and make shots and make plays. So as long as the next guy's ready, I think I think we um, will be down, pretty good down the stretch. That game was insane for all kinds of reasons. You guys had a 42-33 lead at halftime, which is pretty high scoring in general. They outscored you 56-47 in the second half. Was there a point in the second half you're going, oh come on? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, they're the Coast Guard. They're in great shape for sure, and they're running <laughs> up and down. And I remember our coach after the game, uh, we talked to Day later, and he's like, oh, my God, we're going to a first overtime with them, and we're playing the Coast Guard. Like, they're in great shape. And then he's second overtime, he's like, we're playing the Coast Guard, and we're going to double overtime. And he's worried we're not in good enough shape or something, but we met, we managed to pull that one out, which was great. I'm worried Charlie's not in good enough shape. Uh, yeah. You were 20 for 41, 5 for 10 from beyond the arc. They decided to hack you because you were 10 for 13 from the line you had 21 rebounds six of them on the offensive end is that a game where you said you the rest of the team may have been struggling or, or wasn't it wasn't working out or whatever the case may be i know you don't go in with that mentality but is there a point in a game you realize okay i this is the kind of game i can have or i'm feeling good i can i can put up some points uh, well, i'm used to seeing a lot of double teams and mm-hmm. they weren't sending doubles as, as frequently so i could square up from 12 feet and usually make a pretty solid move and I was getting some good looks and um, the ball was coming off my hand pretty well so at that point in the game I just started to uh, to look to be aggressive and um, I think we needed it at that point in time. You mentioned the other night may not have been your best and, and he post kind of had a good night. Do you know early in a game when it's not your night? Um, not necessarily because I mean there's two halves every game. Right. Um, I think a lot of good players have good halves and then have bad halves. Okay. Um, but I've found with myself, I usually am my own worst critic. So if I can <laughs> keep out of my own head, then I usually end up coming back. But I kind of buried myself early on and uh, never really found uh, a groove after that. But luckily, we had Heath Post and uh, Trey Witter to come off the bench, and he's been great for us all year, too, as well. So that was big for us. I've known a lot of players. I've seen a lot of players. I've been around a lot of players who wouldn't admit maybe that they're having an off night and they will keep jacking it up. They will, they almost try and force themselves out of a bad night and Mm -hmm. just keep making the hole deeper. Have you ever been that kind of player? And did you ever have to learn not to be? Yeah. um, That's a great question. I I definitely have early in my, especially in my college career. I think that's something that I've learned that um, the less I do, it makes our team better. So to just be able to take um, what's given and not force the issue. Um, that's something I think I've done a lot better this year than um, in past years. And I think it's helped our team and it's gotten Heath at times to be kind of our go-to guy and then um, feeding off him. But I think we feed off each other and Trey's really found a good niche with us. And, um, and, and I think with that senior leadership, a lot of the freshman guys feed off that as well. So it's been good for us. Yeah, that, that trio of seniors, um, obviously Jake Jacobson being the, the fourth senior, but your, your trio of yourself, Heath, and Trey averaging double figures for this team, the only three in double figures. You're at 25, Heath's at 17.5, Trey's at 10.5, and, and rebounding-wise, it's, it's you three. You've nearly averaged a double-double at 9.6 rebounds a game. Heath's got 10.5 rebounds. Um, and you guys also hand out in a total of six and a half assists a game. What is it about that that trio that you three? Is it just that you've been playing along for so long that it just you click on all cylinders together? Uh, I spent a lot of years and I mean a lot of games together. I think a lot of it's just experience together and trust. And we made that run our sophomore year. And JJ and uh, Kendall and Deontay were a part of that as well. And and I think those guys, even though they don't necessarily see the court as much all those guys understand as much as me Heath and Trey um what that what it takes and and that mindset and and that togetherness so I think just playing a lot together and um uh, being unified is something we've taken pride in this year a couple of years ago your sophomore year you guys were 22 and 9 certainly grabbed a lot of attention Ghana went into last year with I think a lot of expectations 
Uh, won the first two games, lost to Ohio Wesleyan, and, and things uh, unfortunately fell apart from there. And due in part to you, on an untimely and unfortunate injury as well in the middle of all of that. How tough was last year, not only because of the injury, but because I think expectations probably internally and externally were so high that you guys, to some degree, never got off the ground? Yeah, I mean, it was it was a really hard year uh, physically and emotionally. I mean, we had high expectations, as you said. Um, I think we went into the year ranked seventh in the country, and just after the first two wins, we lost about five five in a row or so, and we never really figured it out until probably the last two or three games we started to hit a little bit of a stride, but it was just too late. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it was really tough. I mean, I think it's every team has a year where they – so they kind of learn a lot about their group, and we lost a lot of a lot of big pieces from that Final Four year, and we didn't really know how to replace them. And instead of replacing them, we just kind of changed our style of play and our tactics and our mindset and kind of had to reset the whole thing as a group. And I think we did a good job of that this year so far. I can't remember which game it was that you got injured in, except that I know I was watching the game at the time. Uh, and you missed – I don't remember. Did you come back at the end of the season at all? I did, yeah. Okay, I, did. I couldn't remember if you did. Uh, how how important was it to get back at the end of the season? And how frustrated were you by let's just call it a freak incident results in a in a in a such a debilitating injury for the for the season? It is. Um, I mean, I mean, it's the injury was. I mean, it was my first real injury in my entire career since mm. I played as a kid. So I mean, if it's if it's going to happen one year, I mean. And that's going to be, uh, it was a dislocated shoulder, but um, yeah. it happened at Keene State. And, I mean, everyone's going to have something. If it happens one year in my college career and I'm out for a month or two, I'll take it because this is a lot worse out there with all the ACL injuries these days and whatnot. So I'm just blessed to be able to still be playing at, at a healthy and high level. That's right, Keene State. And then it was the, the unfortunate losing streak from there, six in a row and, and, and yep. nine of ten games. Did that also spur you guys a little bit this offseason? Um, oh, actually, before I get to that, you came back at the end of the season. Was there any thought of, hey, you know what, I can I can just forego this season and I've still got two more years of eligibility left? Or was there a different mentality going on? Uh, there's a different mentality. I, I had already we already played a couple games in the beginning of the year, and, and that wasn't really my thought process. I just I wanted to see what we could do in the new Mac and maybe make a run at the thing. And I, I think we, we played Emerson pretty tough at their place, mm-hmm. and they went to the conference. If we win that game, I think we had a shot at winning the new Mac and maybe making a tournament run or making a tournament bid, I mean. So that would have been nice, but you know, I never thought about redshirting. Yeah, there were a lot of us who thought if you guys made the tournament, you might be the, the, the scariest team to have to watch or, or have to play. Uh, so then going into the off season, how much did last season push you guys into whatever you needed to do to get – Care, take care of business this year? I think a lot. Uh, personally, it pushed me a lot more. I had a lot more motive this offseason than coming off a of Final Four year, and I think that's just human nature in some sense, but I know Trey was motivated, and JJ and Heath, and I think the new guys coming in knew what had happened our sophomore year and what had happened the year before with a down year, and knew what we were seniors, and we were ready to go. And This freshman class and sophomore class, too, has been great with how they've taken on um, everything we've kind of explained to them, how our team works and just uh, the the culture we have. So um, I'm really happy with, with and proud of the guys of how we've been playing. That Final Four season, your sophomore year, 
Um, first off, you nearly make the championship game. You took Nebraska Wesley into overtime in a thriller of a semifinal. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, they win, go on to win the national championship the last year there in um, Salem as well. Did you guys understand the significance from those on the outside to see your head coach coaching a Final Four team in Salem, especially what we all knew would be the last year there? Did you guys understand that nuance that was going on? Because there was a lot of us who just appreciated that fact in itself. Yeah, I knew that was Charlie's uh, first Final Four appearance, and he's coached a hell of a long time. So we were really happy for him in that sense with all his years with NABC and um, working with D3 Hoops at, at times. So I just think it, it was great for him, and I knew that was the last year in Salem as well. And and uh, I think that meant a lot to him because he's seen so many players and people he's known throughout his career go down there. So for the fact of getting his team to finally make a run and a push it was uh, was really fun to fun to be there and be a part of it with him. And I assume that's the business that needs to take place this year. You guys, I assume, want to make another run. Are you guys good enough to make that run? I, I believe we are. I mean, every uh, every team's a little different. I think we're smaller this year. Um, we spread the ball out, and we're very undersized. But um, me and Keith are 6'5 and 6'6, six, six, and we have to guard guys that are 230, and we're not even so we're about 200 pounds and it's and so every team's trying to put the ball inside but we have to remember they have to guard us too so we're, we found a way to adjust on the defensive end and we're just trying to make it difficult for teams to find a way to guard us and um we have a lot of good pieces in the freshman and sophomore class and we have a senior leader and trey coming off the bench in double digits so um we're pretty excited with where we're at and i think we control our own destiny at this point yeah you guys have a one game lead on wpi you've got a two game lead on Babson. And interestingly enough, guess who's coming up? Uh, you're on the road at WPI coming up on on Wednesday, and then you're home to finish things up. I assume it'll be Senior Day on Saturday against Babson. These are two huge games, and we're not even at the conference tournament. I assume it's all focused on WPI first, but how important are both games? Uh, both games are absolutely huge. I mean, the new Max has been as strong as uh, I've seen it in my time at Springfield, and I think our non-conference schedule has prepared us for this conference grind, and this is this is a crucial part of it. We're finally in the driver's seat in a sense. I mean, if we if we win, we're 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 hosting the new Max in a, in a sense, and if we lose, there's a chance we don't, and we know that. So it's a crucial game for both teams, and it's their senior night at WPI on Wednesday. So um, we gotta we gotta be ready for sure. What's it like to play basketball uh, down the street, as it were, from from the Hall of Fame in the town where the game was created at a school that takes pride in the fact of being the place, you know, taking on the mantle of being the place where the big game wasn't created? That's great. The energy around Springfield has, has been great. We get a lot of local fans and uh, a lot of high school kids that love to come watch. Uh, I think we got a pretty consistent crowd and the energy and um, everyone really wants to see us do well, so it's it's really um, it's not there's not a lot of pressure in a sense, but there's definitely a lot of um, energy around the gym all, at all times uh, for girls and and boys, and it's been really fun to play here for four years. What attracted you to Springfield and to play for Coach Brock? Um, originally, uh, I just came on a visit uh, with a friend who went here, and it happened to be Andy, our our point guard on our Final Four run, and <laughs> he uh, I stayed over for about two hours into my, my overnight, I was like, this place just, there's good people. Uh, everyone says hi to each other, hold the door. And the vibe I was getting here was just something more than, 
than everywhere else I was I was looking at, and uh, immediately I I just knew I wanted to go here. Um, it was close to home, and Coach Brock was um, someone that I just wanted to play for at the end of the day, and, and I'm, de- I'm definitely glad I made that decision. I'm curious, what other schools were you looking at? Um, it came down to Western England down the road, Dickinson, and um, and then Pace University in New York. Did you say Wesleyan? Uh, sorry, Western New England. Oh, Western New England. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's that's a little different. Um, Western New England, Springfield, Pace, or Dickinson. That's 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 a bit of a motley crew. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, for a while, I was looking to play um, lacrosse as well, and ah. to dwindle out as just to focus on basketball. Um, so that kind of had a very big impact on my decision at the time. Yeah. No, the lacrosse angle, I get it a little bit more there. Absolutely. Uh, curious, uh, final year, uh, you're a recreation management major. I don't, I'm not going to pretend I know what you can do with that, but I can make up a lot of ideas. But <laughs> what is your hopes to do once the season comes to a close, however it comes to a close? Um, my hopes is to have a chance to continue to play. Um, I'd love to uh, get a shot somewhere and I'm just trying to stay healthy and keep a positive attitude and, and stay ready for anything. Um, it's, been a great four years and i'm just not done to be ready with the game of basketball and playing doesn't work out i'll hopefully get into the coaching world and the coaching scene at some point as well oh i could see that i could see both i actually uh today it came out small college basketball's uh watch list for the bebo francis award what does that mean to you to be on that list uh, it's a great honor there's a lot of great players on there i recognize a lot of names and uh, uh i've been on that list before but i never take it for granted and uh I'm thankful for it, but uh, it's just a friendly reminder to keep going and stay motivated. And there's a, still hopefully a lot of season to be to be played, and I'm I'm really excited for it. Well, I appreciate the time and, and the insight on the team, on yourself, on the last four years, uh, two thousand plus points. Did you ever think that was going to be something you could have pulled off? Uh no, I didn't. Uh, not going into it, that's for sure. You're a freshman. There's that's definitely not the first thing to think about, but um, then. I'm thankful for it. I mean, if you got to stay healthy for four years, I think that's the hardest part. Um, and I've been very, very, very grateful that, that I have. I only had one, one injury and knocked on wood, and we'll keep it that way. Well, one injury that made you miss half a season. Uh, mind-blowing that you've been able to, what you've been able to accomplish uh, around that fact. Uh, congratulations on the season so far. I personally know that I have a feeling you'll be in Fort Wayne no matter how things happen. Um, but I also know you'd love to have the team there with you. And on that note, I, I at least wish you good luck. I'm stalling a second because I just got a text. Uh, disregard. I thought it was a question about you. And, yeah, we don't need to worry about that. Um, if So we have a tradition on the show. We always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? Uh, just thank you for having me on the show. Uh, we appreciate everything you do for D3 Hoops. And uh, we're avid followers. And go pride, baby. Oh, hey, one last question. Ryan Scott says, is, is catching Joey Flannery's career-scoring number a goal for you? Uh, it's definitely a motivation. I wouldn't <laughs> say it's a goal, though. Well, uh, wouldn't one argue they're the same thing? Uh, I, I, I guess. I mean, it would be, <laughs> nice. It would be nice to catch him, but uh, he had a, a great career, and I, uh, we always get this, this comparison, me versus him, and I've never really thought of it that way. I think we're similar but still different in, in a lot of ways but he was he was definitely definitely a very respected 
player in Division Three, so it would be an honor to, to definitely pass him in points. Yeah, well said. Well, thank you for the time. As I said, thank you for the, uh, the insight. Good luck the rest of the way, and we'll look forward to talking to you somewhere down the road. All right, thanks, Dave. Have a good one. Absolutely. You do the same. He has Jake Ross joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Fun to chat with him. We're running late, so I'm going to keep things going here. I did get a couple more donations. I really appreciate it from everybody. We will try and update those uh, as soon as we can. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC studios. When we come back, keep talking men's basketball. Talk to Wesley men's basketball coach Dean Burrows. Talk about the school out there in Delaware leading the AEC. What is the future? for that program and that school. You're listening to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More Hoopsville after this. College has given me the flexibility to pursue my passions and my interests, and I've recreated my identity for myself aside from just being an athlete. My greatest personal discovery has been that I am capable of doing things that I didn't know I was capable of doing. To be able to study what I wanted to and continue to play the sport I love, all of those things came together very nicely in one package in Division Three. Cheer for the stumbles. The heat should have had that. And the tears that linger. For in those moments, greatness lies. There, you will find the provoked, the determined, the unified. It's in those moments that champions are born. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that college basketball built. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I coined my definition of success in 1934. My definition of success is peace of mind attained only through self-satisfaction and knowing you made the effort to do the best of which you're capable. 
It's like reputation and character. Reputation is what others perceive you to be. Character is what you are. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we click along, coming up, Ryan Scott and um, Bob Kuhlman will be joining us to chat about... um, well, top 25 that just came out and uh, the future um, conference tournaments that are coming around the corner, plus what we think will be uh, teams that are, might be in trouble for NCAA tournament berths, et cetera. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can also email us, hoopsville at D3Sports.com. That's hoopsville at D3Sports.com. Um, you can also join us on Facebook or YouTube where we're simulcasting the show, facebook.com slash hoopsville. And, of course, also, also YouTube.com slash D3Hoopsville. All right, D, uh, Wesley men's basketball is leading the AEC in just their second season. They're playing for an at-large pick in the Pool Bs, as the conference does not have its automatic bid just yet. Uh, they'll have it after this year. Gwyneth Mercy is a game behind Wesley at 8-2. and two. Marymount is a game and a half back at 8-3. and three. And it's those three in the horse race for the finish here. The rest of the conference not a factor. There's a lot more going on in Dover, Delaware than just a basketball um, run as they've got two games left. They want those games to come through Dover, Delaware. Speaking of Dover, Delaware, site of uh, the Dover International Raceway where NASCAR goes through. I know the uh, Daytona 500 just got finished. I kind of understand the finish, but we're not talking NASCAR as coming on the Blue Frame Technology Hoops. The hotline is Dean Burroughs. Coach, you can see the track from uh, your window, I'm pretty sure. At least they're not racing there tonight. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, More and more you see bleachers being taken out of there though so yeah i don't know but it's uh it's always interesting when the race is in town for sure oh that's one place i avoid when the race is in town uh the the highway basically goes around the track it <laughs> anyway do you want to avoid that like the plague uh and it's Absolutely. not a negative thing to nascar it's about the traffic um let's talk about this team you and i talked if you don't mind me saying in the off season. Uh, yeah. Though when I went looking for it in the last week, I could not find our chat um, for whatever reason. But you and I chatted about your expectations coming in. And to mm-hmm. be blunt, you had high expectations for your Wolverines. I think you thought you guys really could have a good year. Now, that said, you're on top of the conference at 9-1. and one, So you're having a great season in conference. But the first three games out of the gate were losses, and four or five of the first seven were losses. And I hate to dig in deeper, but six of the first nine were losses. That could not have been what you wanted to do to start this season. No, by no means. Um, We knew coming into the season with nine new guys on our roster, uh, there was going to be a learning curve. And we tried not to schedule uh, easy by any means. Sure. Sure. and we knew without having the AQ in the league, we had to try to get our strength of schedule up as much as we can. And you've been to our gym, and you know what we have. And it's hard to get you know teams to get in home and home series. And so, you know, we'll take what we can get. But, you know, looking back at it now, 
if I could go back and do it over, you know, we played nine games in November. Um, yes, you did. You know, so maybe we would adjust that as we move forward. But, um, you know, we, we brought five guys back who had experience in the program in the past. And one of those guys sat out last year, Michael Stefanides. So getting the four that we had last year that contributed, getting him back in the mix and then bringing in nine new guys, um, you know, and with the little time we have from October 15th to when we started, you know, if I could do it over again, maybe that's something I would adjust. But, you know, that's not how we do things. We never take the easy route. That's just how we are. And uh, I think it's served its purpose as we move through the year. Yeah, I, we were talking to Bria's head coach about their crazy schedule. Uh, the fact that they played a bunch of games in November, you guys actually take it to another level with nine games. And then you had three games in the month of December, uh, the first and second separated by three weeks. Uh, so there, and, and by the way, we should point out that that Salisbury game on the 8th of December was actually a week after your last November game. So you just had all kinds of quirks uh, with that schedule. But what's interesting is you came out of it on the right side of it, because after that three week break, you beat Emory and Henry at Christopher Newport. You then played Christopher Newport, your former, former CAC foe. Uh, lost to them, but since then you've only lost once in a crazy game against Cabrini. You guys seem to have at least found yourselves at the right time. Yeah, I mean it's it's been it's been like I said a learning curve. Um, you know we've had great senior leadership as we've moved through this thing. Um, you know we had that hiccup at Cabrini, which you know looking back now maybe it served its purpose again. That's you know we try to look for the silver lining and things and be as positive as we can. We, you know, watching that game on film today as we get ready to play them this Wednesday, definitely a lot of things that, um, you know, we looked at and saw that we need to continue to work on and improve on. That's really just our goal is just to get a little bit better each and every day. And with this group, it's been a lot of fun to be around with them day in and day out. Uh, when I look at the what's ahead, you mentioned Cabrini at home. That will be your final home game. Then you've got Gwyneth Mercy on Saturday. You would love to do whatever you can to keep that game from being a factor to some degree it still may be a one game spread but if you lost it it's not the end of the world because i think you guys still control things in other words you got to take care of business against cabrini on wednesday absolutely i mean we we had to take care of business this past saturday at, a, at, at marywood which is it's not an easy place to go up to and play especially when it's five degrees when you get off the bus um you know <laughs> sounds but. like a slight exaggeration but go ahead <laughs> no, it, it, it was, was cold i know got, i know <laughs> when we got into town it was but uh no, I mean, you know, we're just taking it game by game. I know that sounds cliche and coach speak and things like that, but, uh, you know, we, I heard the Berea women's coach earlier saying, you know, focusing on themselves and that's what we really have to do. We know if we do, you know, four or five things that we stress day in and day out, we have an opportunity to go one and oh each and every time we play. When you look at what you've learned, can you take those first nine games of the season? and take anything from it to still remind the guys as you practice, as you go through video, as you do scouting reports, even when you're playing in games, go, guys, remember this, this is what we dealt with, here's how we got past it. Or is, is that now a distant memory? Um, we, we try to bury things and move on, but we also have you know reminders from time to time of things that we have experienced. I mean, we're winning games this year that last year, maybe two years prior to, you know, we're finding different ways to win. You know, we, we, we have Brian Cameron, and that's what a lot of people want to talk about, and rightfully so. I mean, he's, he's a heck of a player. I know you were just talking to Jake Ross from Springfield, who's another great player in his own right. But, I mean, 
you know, it took a little bit of time for Brian and to, you know, to trust some of these new guys and, and vice versa. And it's very easy to sit there and watch him do his thing. And that's what some of the guys were doing earlier in the year on the floor. It's like, hey, if you want to spectate, we can get someone else in for you. But, um, you know, little by little, those guys have, have earned his trust and he's become more comfortable with, with them out there on the floor as well. Brian Cameron's averaging 28.5 points per contest. He's also pulling down eight rebounds a game. But he's also handing out four and a half assists a game. And I think that's the key stat is a high assist number. Yeah, he's scoring and he's getting his rebounds. He's getting his shots. He's getting his looks. But he's trying to get everybody else involved, too. Absolutely. I mean, coming home the other night from Marywood after the game, um, I was just curious to see where he stood all time in our program's record books. And believe it or not, he's only 37 assists shy of becoming number one in our program's history. Yeah. That's something, I mean, I was talking to my assistant coaches over the weekend and today, and I mean, we were just completely blown away by that. So that just shows you how unselfish he really is as a, as a, as a player. Yeah, that does. That's, that's really incredible. But tell me a little bit more about him and what he's done for this program, because, you know, what you guys have been through a lot just in his tenure. You left the CAC, joined the new formed AEC. You're now in your second year there, which means he's now played in, in two years in each system, as it were. Uh, mm-hmm. Last year was a 500 season. The year before was 500, though I know there were expectations that were higher than that. Mm-hmm. Did that mean there was pressure on him? Or let me rephrase that. Did that mean he put pressure on himself to make sure this season was going to be a good one? And what is it about the last four years that's changed the most about his game? Um, I think with not only himself, but the seniors, I think they, they understood that this was their last go around. And these seniors are you know, for all, for all intents and purposes, our first recruiting class when I came in sure. as, as, as head coach. So, you know, they understood the sense of urgency and, and from, you know, summer lifting, fall lifting on into the preseason and things like that, they've really done a good job of leading and in, in their own different ways. And with Brian, I mean, he's just, he's just a competitor. I don't think, you know, I don't think he feels pressure or senses pressure. I mean, he's got ice in his veins and, the kid's just a workaholic, a gym rat, um, just loves the game, loves, you know, getting better and, and reinventing himself, if you will. I think sometimes, you know, we have to beg him now, you know, just shoot the three when you're open instead of, you know, trying to, to get to the rim and, you know, would try to save himself from, you know, the wear and tear that he's mm-hmm. getting. Cause I mean, he has 10 eyes on him every time he gets the ball in his hand yeah. and if not more. So, you know, um, you know, Telling him, hey, it's okay to rise up and let it rip because, I mean, he does that pretty well. Uh, a little down this year as far as three-point field goal percentage compared to years past, but, I mean, he was well over 40% the last few years from three. So, yeah. Uh, but he's just a fierce competitor deep down. He's at 36%, which is still not too shabby, and it's right around yeah. the, 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 the team average. He shoots 48% from the floor, which is better than the team average by a few points, and he averages 81.5% from the free throw line. In other words, he's going to hurt you in any way he shoots the ball. Yeah. Yeah. That's a no, scary proposition for any defense I'm sh- I'm suspecting. And and just like, you know, Jake before before myself, um, when you were talking to him, I mean, in Brian's four years we've seen every type of defense imaginable. <laughs> um, you know, which has obviously helped us as coaches, I think, to you know, to to better ourselves as well. You know, we we sat there last year and watched the Raptors and Warriors in the finals and Nick Nurse throwing a box of one at the Warriors and them struggling with that over the course of a few games. And it's just like, wow, 
yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. To switch gears, if you don't mind, because I don't want to run out of time before we give it its just due. Um, yeah. Wesley's certainly been in the headlines if no one's caught him. Uh, and part of this recent trend of schools that are struggling with finances and, and, and to be blunt, Wesley's not on its own. We've got Wells up in New York. We've seen Iowa Wesleyan dealing with this. We had how many schools in New England and the greater uh, New England area have closed in the last few years. And every school, and I'm just saying this as a preface to anybody, every school is having to reexamine themselves to a larger degree. So, again, it's, it's, it's just one of those topics that is around now. That said, Wesley has had to go to the state several times asking for money just in this year alone. And, and Dean, what I last read was they needed $3.5 million just to try and make a merger work. This has got to make things challenging from your vantage point as a coach because you're out there recruiting against those headlines. You're also out there with a class uh, of freshmen and sophomores that probably don't know what their future is either, and maybe they're looking to go somewhere else. How challenging has just – we won't even get into the rest of it, but just the news that's out there of what's going on at Wesley, how challenging has that made this season? To be brutally honest with you, from, from a basketball perspective, from a men's basketball perspective, we've had tunnel vision just focusing on this senior group and this particular group um, of sophomores and freshmen because we, we don't have any juniors on our roster. Right. Um, you know, as, to a man, to a person, as a program, we really haven't discussed that because, again, we're, we're trying to focus on controlling what we control in between the lines. Now, with that said, you know, we've heard from, you know, recruits, you know, whose parents have questions. Oh, I can so. I completely get it. We completely get it as a staff. But, I mean, we've been told by our administration, uh, higher-ups, you know, who make the decisions for the school that, you know, we're in uh, non-disclosure agreements with potential partners. And within, you know, by March, mid-March to the end of March, we're going to have more definitive answers at that time. But, I mean, I'm a native Delawarean. I uh, lived in Florida for six years. Um, you moved back home for a specific reason. I love what I get to do, where I do it. And, um, you know, I'm not I'm not looking to go anywhere. And, um, and that's with every fiber of my being. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're moving things forward. And we're excited, to be quite honest with you. We are, you know, we're having a good year thus far. We're looking to get this, this senior group and this group uh, uh, one more game is what we keep talking about. And then after this season's over, whatever the chips may fall as far as uh, when it's done for us, our goal is to be even better next year um, and continue to build on what we're doing this year. So I know that might not be the answer you wanted to hear, but uh, I feel very <laughs> comfortable and confident uh, that we're going to be moving forward. Well, I wasn't expecting an answer. If it makes you feel any better, I didn't. I don't. I didn't have any aspirations on what you would give us in terms of an answer to that because I know that this thing can be complicated. Um, just to the fact of what your administration says, they're not necessarily though telling you what might be on the table or not on the table. They're leaving you an answer of in March we'll give you more information. That opens the door that that information can range from everywhere from we're set, we'll be open for another 50 years, to uh, we're closing the doors in May. No, I, and that's, I mean, that is reality, but I, you know, I have faith in, in our higher-ups and people who make a lot more money than I do that, um, <laughs> you know, they have our best interest at heart, and 
you know, that's that's how we're moving sure. forward. You know, we try to we talk to our guys every day about controlling what they can control and I'd be a hypocrite and our staff would be hypocrites if we didn't do the same. Absolutely. I, and I should say I'm I'm impressed with your president from an outsider's point of view and the very little I know about him and the story about him going to see an, a, a football opponent player who was horribly hurt in a game at the emergency room because he knew the, the the student athletes parents had not made the had not made the trip and were on their way just to make sure he was okay speaks volumes to me so i i suspect they are certainly doing everything they can and i don't want anybody to figure i'm alluding otherwise um but you guys have also been through a lot in the last few years football coach and athletic director who is the heart and soul of the wesley department suddenly dies the uh-huh. same year that Johns Hopkins goes through it. Um, yep. The football program already had enough emotions on tact with the assistant coach and his family, uh, who's now the head coach. Uh, now to tack this on, Dean, it's got, it must have been a roller coaster there uh, and, and sometimes not the fun one necessarily. No, I mean, that was all, you know, it was surreal and, um, you know, I went through, you know, some health stuff actually two days after Coach Stratus had passed mm. personally. And uh, I almost was on, you know, the other side as well. But uh, the good Lord didn't want me yet. And, uh, you know, we just we just keep going. Yeah, that, that's all we can do is control what we can control and just keep working, rolling up our sleeves and, uh, you know, just trying to figure out what's next, uh, you know, in terms of these guys and, and then our program and moving it forward. I don't think the good Lord wanted two Wesley um, <laughs> coaches in such short order. I don't think they could have handled it at the pearly gates, to be blunt. No, both very stubborn, for sure. <laughs> I, was, I was alluding to that. I, as a stubborn man myself, uh, I, I get it. Uh, again, I don't want to dwell in the, in the negative news, but it's been out there. And so that's why you know the curiosity gets to us and, and we want to know. And I know the conference wants to know and everybody else wants to know. I know you guys don't want to go anywhere. I'm fully aware of that, and we certainly hope yeah. Wesley doesn't go anywhere. You guys are a unique institution um, and, and, and a unique opportunity for student-athletes in Delaware and, 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 and from further away, but for students as well. So I appreciate you at least uh, humoring us, as it were. Quickly, back to the topic of basketball. Again, Cabrini and Gwen and Mercy coming up. I know you'd love to have the AEC going through your neck of the woods, but you know that ultimately this comes down to a pool B bid, win or lose. How do you think you guys are positioned? I mean, I think right now, you know, in terms of our non-conference strength of schedule and, and what we've done in conference, I like where we're at. Are we satisfied? By no means. Um, you know, we got to take care of business Wednesday, and then from there, you know, continue to do what we've been doing since, uh, you know, we got back from Christmas break. And after that, I, I think our, our resume in, in terms of the Pool B uh, position speaks for itself, but that, that ultimately isn't up to us, you know, so... Uh, We'll, do, we'll continue to do what we can do and, and make it hard for whoever is making that decision. Uh, do you miss the CAC? Um, to, a, to a person, I do, just because, you know, the, the relationships that you develop with the, with the coaches. Sure. You know, John Corian's a good friend of mine, and, you know, I have so much respect for those guys, Chris Harney, Marcus Kahn, who, you know, we still stay in touch with those guys on down to, you know, when Andy was at Salisbury, I still you know, keep in contact with him now that he's over at Chesapeake. Um, Don Friday up at Penn State, he's been, you know, really good to me over the years in terms of just passing on his wisdom and knowledge and his experience. Um, so from that perspective, yes, and in terms of the style and things like that. But, I mean, like you said, you know, we were just talking about some of the, the, the matters that we're facing as a school mm-hmm. right now. Um, 
you know, that, that the decision to move from the CAC to the AEC was above me. And, um, you know, when they come and ask me my for my input, I'll give it to them. But until then, we just keep going. Uh, his name is Dean Burrows. For anybody in the administration at Wesley, I'm sure you can get some of thoughts and opinions from him. Uh, Dean, I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much uh, for coming on the show, talking about things. Um, and, and between you and I, I'm hoping we're talking next season and the seasons after as well. Um, but in the meantime, I know the business as a hand is Cabrini on Wednesday, and we wish you luck there and the rest of the season, however long it may last. As always, we give the guests a final word, though. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? Yeah, Dave, um, before I thank you, I just want to thank my, my assistant coaches. They're all volunteer assistants who have full-time jobs, and they're great men, and I'm very blessed to have them in my life and in our players' lives. Um, thank their significant others for all the time that they allow them to be with us, and uh, we really have a lot of fun with together and with our guys. And, you know, lastly to you for everything that you do to, to better Division Three basketball, which, you know, I might be biased, but I think it's it's the best level of basketball there is out there. And uh, for those who don't understand just how good it is, they, uh, they need to get out and go see the game. I agree with you entirely on that last part, for sure. Uh, thank you for the kind words. Great words about your assistant coach, uh, coaches, to say the least. Good luck the rest of the way. Look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. Sure. Dean Burroughs joining us from Wesley. They're 15-8, and 9-1 and one in AEC play. Uh, they have only lost one game since uh, the new year. Um, and you know what? It got a good unit there. I'd be fascinated to see how things progress. Got Cabrini and Gwen and Mercy ahead. Um, I kind of like Wesley. Hope they're not going anywhere. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Ryan Scott, Bob Quillman will join us. We'll first talk about the new top 25 that came out. By the way, the new women's top 25 is out already. Uh, came out in the last segment. Uh, and then we'll also talk about kind of what we see with conference tournaments starting. Teams that may be in trouble. Uh, teams you may have questions about. I know there's a question about Yeshiva. Yeshiva's on our list uh, and plenty more. You'll listen to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC studios. When we come back, the boys join me for a top 25 double take. Back with more after this. Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person. Competing at a Division III level created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle, and, and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open. And a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. College basketball lives in Kansas City at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. The College Basketball Experience is the place to get your game on. It's not a museum, it's an experience you won't forget. Discover the history of the game in the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame, featuring the Gallery of Honor, Mentor's Circle, and Honor Theater. Suit up in the latest CBE logoed Nike gear at the CBE Hoop Shop. Elevate your game today and visit the house that College Basketball built. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. 
That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. I'm a Division III student athlete, and I know how powerful words can be. The term gay doesn't mean stupid, lame, or less than. So I pledge to speak up if I hear the term gay used in a derogatory way or any other homophobic terms. If you can play, you can play in Division III. I'm a Division III student athlete, and my teammates unconditionally accepted me as part of their family. So now I pledge to do the same for others. If you can play, you can play in Division III. We are the coaches of women's basketball. We are leaders and teachers, dreamers and winners. We are professionals who conduct ourselves ethically and with integrity. We place the education, safety, and well-being of the athletes we coach above all else and teach them the fundamental values they need to succeed in life. We are coaches united for the good of our game and those who play it. We are the WBCA. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. I just wanted to get good grades and to do well. But it also made me realize that I have a lot of career goals. You're there to get a full college experience, not only participate in your sport, but participate in things outside of that. And it's all about growing as a person. My coaches have helped me with figuring out who I really am. Their lives are dedicated for us to succeed. Being a part of the different activities and organizations that I've been a part of, I'm actually able to see myself where I'm like, hey, I actually can make a change. I'm one person that can make a difference. Division three has helped me to develop teamwork skills, critical thinking skills, time management skills. It's not just about basketball or it's not just about school. It's about developing yourself as a person altogether. My name is Marcus Walker. I was All-State, won a state championship, a high school All-American, and played college and pro ball. I played because I love the game. I grind to be the best. I sweat because I put in work. I'm strong because I believe. When I want to bring it before game time, I come to the house that college basketball built, the CBE. No matter your skill, take it to another level. Elevate your game right here at the College Basketball Experience at Sprint Center. For the love of the game, that's what it's all about, they say. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that. It's more about team and the schools and communities we represent. And for the many of us blessed with the strength to compete in sport at the college level, we understand that with what we were given comes a special obligation. An obligation to help those who have their own special needs and whose love for the game is no less intense. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. Since August of 2011, we and others from Division III campus communities have volunteered more than a quarter million hours, time away from the classroom and practice field, reaching across the country to coach and mentor Special Olympics athletes. And to learn 
that in giving, we receive so much more in return. Help us keep that dream alive. Be part of it. Get involved. You can make a difference. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. I'm just going to interrupt the break. Uh, went a little longer on that because I was trying to do some tech work. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we enter our uh, extra half hour or so here of coverage. Not too much longer because the gentlemen who spend time with me spend time uh, out of their own schedules, and I appreciate that, so I don't want to waste their time too much. But uh, obviously, lots to talk about because uh, it, literally in two weeks' time from tonight, not only will we be talking about a new top 25 coming out, yay, yay, haha, but at this point, we will be talking about who's in the tournament and who's not in the tournament and what the brackets look like and all of that. Quick note on that I will point out that in years past, we've done the, uh, you've known I've been part of the NCA um, selection show, and I will be a part of that once again. And then we immediately get on the air with our show. I'm not going to do that this year. It's insanity, and I don't understand why I do it. We're going to do a 7 o'clock show. I know there's a gap there, but I don't think it's going to hurt anybody. But it better positions us to be able to do a better show. I don't think there's any rush to get on the air when a lot of people are doing some other things. Uh, donations. I've gotten a few more. i got to uh, update the tote board. I want to thank uh, my buddy Bob Quillman for sending out a tweet about it. I really appreciate it. Um, but we will get to that. Women's top 25 is coming out. Alex Nagel said that Bethel really should be in the top five or six. They shouldn't be 11. I replied back, voters are going to be a bit gun shy after laying an egg to a two-win team, which they did, remember, about a week and a half ago. He says, these voters have no clue how incredibly good the Mayak women's basketball really is. I know. I followed from the beginning to end. St. Mary's women's basketball is a lot better than their record. They've won three games. You can claim as much as you want how tough the Mayak is, but Bryn Mawr isn't incredibly good because the Centennial Conference is really good because Bryn Mawr hasn't won a game. That's not a valid argument. You lost to a team you absolutely should have beaten. You can't then come back and say they're really good. They've got three wins on the entire season. None in the conference until that game. So I'm sorry, Alex. It's not a good enough argument. Prove yourselves later. Don't lose to that game. All right, let's talk uh, Division Three basketball. And uh, top 25, especially when we talk top 25, I usually bring in my uh, two trusty colleagues, whether I'm trusty or not is up for debate, but they're certainly trusty. And joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline via Skype, it's Mr. Ryan Scott on my one side, Mr. Bob Quillman on my other. And I am doing a little bit of a CNN-esque version of things here because I wanted multiple boxes. Oh, you know what? Don't talk, guys. I don't have your audio. That's going to be the one problem with all of this. Um, but I do want to say that the... Oh, no, I do have your audio. You guys can probably talk. Go ahead. Can you hear us, Dave? That's I can the hear you. I was, I was just going to chime in that, that only winning three games, it's not that hard to be better than your record, really, just for his credit. <laughs> Fair point, sir. Well played. Uh, good... <laughs> I watched most of that game. They look pretty good to me. I don't know. <laughs> Certainly better than a three-win team. This is the way you're supposed to say they're the best three-win team in the country. That usually comes with that kind of thing. So, yeah, I like it, Dave. I like where he's going with that. I do, too. I do, too. Well played. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk top 25, folks, and then we'll take a quick break. And I do mean quick. We won't take too long. Uh, and we'll talk um, uh, the, the – uh, the future, the next couple of weeks, as it were. Um, gentlemen, let's first talk about the top 25 that came out today. Um, I know um, Bob's got some interesting facts maybe on his side. 
we're not going to go through our overrated or any of those details, but Ryan, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on, on the new top 25 we saw come out tonight. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like we kind of know where these teams should be sort of in general right now, right? We've got a few towards the top and a few in the middle and, and we've kind of been rotating some in the last five and, and uh, we're, we're at the point of the season where, you know, we need to get a bracket together and start having these teams play each other. Right. That's, that's just yeah. where we are. Um, we, we've, we've seen as much as we can see out of them on the court until they, they start facing each other. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Bob, your thoughts. Yeah. I thought it, again, like Ryan said, I, I'm kind of over the top 25 at this point. I'm not supposed to say that as a voter, all I'm saying, I said facetiously is that, I'm ready to get the bracket going and, and play some games because I can argue all day long that 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 I think Swarthmore versus you know Marietta is about to pick them. But let's let's play them and let's see how this goes. I did change my number one vote this week and uh, to nothing that Swarthmore did wrong. I think they're fantastic. I think they can win the national championship easily. I I think St. Thomas for me is just by a tiny bit the best team, and I. I'm that lone St. Thomas Tommy's voter in the top 25, so that was the big change for me this week. If you don't mind me asking, who was your first place vote prior? Swarthmore. Interesting. Okay. And the reason I say that is because um, uh, they, it felt like St. St. Thomas's first place votes went back to Swarthmore, except for one went to Randolph-Macon, but you actually more went back to to Swarthmore than in reality. That's what uh, I find interesting. I went back to Swarthmore. I don't think St. Thomas had any. I think St. John's had. I spoke. Yeah, I meant meant to say was St. John's had um, four four. first place votes. Yeah, four. And two went back to Swarthmore, or two votes went to Swarthmore. Um, They were down to 20, and one went to Randolph-Macon, one went to St. Thomas. So in your reality, what what it means is three voters went back from St. John's to Swarthmore because you left Swarthmore to go to St. Thomas. Um, I went back to Swarthmore. I did it because I finally saw the game I've been waiting for at Johns Hopkins. Um, and then they followed up by not laying an egg on Saturday either. That's uh, the, the execution I wanted to see, which I hadn't been seeing the previous few weeks. Yes, Hopkins came back on them, and it was nip and tuck at the beginning of the game as well. But Hopkins is a good team. Uh, I was more surprised that Hopkins lost as many votes as they did in the first place uh, after losing to the number one team. But that's something I talked about at the beginning of the game um, or the beginning of it all. I, I am also a little interested. The, the receiving votes category has gotten probably the narrowest it's been all season. And I know this time when I voted, I felt to myself, oh, I don't have a lot of teams I want to vote on because everybody I want that I've been considering has been losing the top feels like it's more solid and now playing well, whereas everybody else continues to kind of go through the meat grinder. Well, you know, I look at that receiving votes category, and there's some awfully good teams in there. You know, in fact, uh, if I look at, like, where, where I was struggling, I voted for Texas-Dallas. Um, I've watched them in person five times now, and I think they're a top 25 team. Um Augustana not being in the top 25, they're a really, really good team. And I think I'm responsible for most of Oshkosh's votes. <laughs> I, I think you and I might be all of those votes, uh, Bob. <laughs> Oshkosh, I think I have them. I have to go look at them. I think I have Oshkosh like 14 or something like that. I think they are playing fantastic. They're second in the WIAC. 
to see them bury down the ORV is a little surprising to me. So, boy, I'll take give me give me the field here. Give me those teams and other receiving votes, and I'll kind of take the field and see how I, I play out here. Yeah, we we may be the outliers. I really do think it might just be you and me for Oshkosh, but I've got four teams and the other receiving vote that that I voted for um, that didn't quite make it in there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, but still at the bottom, right? You're not <laughs> you're not putting these teams up as as necessarily national contenders. Maybe Oshkosh just from the experience and the guys that they have there. But um, you know, it's it's who's going to make waves in the tournament, and I just feel like we're in for so many upsets because of of just the parody that you've got there. Yeah, I I I can't vote. I, I know Augustana has been there and I've been curious who's been voting for him. I can't vote for Augustana right now. Seven losses. It, at some point, I always have the adage that as good as you are, no matter how tough the conference, the results will sh- will shine through. And, and, you know, I haven't voted for Oshkosh either, kind of along the same point, because every time I start to look at them and get confidence, they take a loss. I get that a conference can be tough, but at some point, I feel like uh, the re- reminder I have is I get very frustrated in another sport. Their top twenty, one year a team that was at five hundred finished in the like eighteen to twenty range, and they had been in there a few times with a below five hundred record. And the argument back was, well, they play a really tough schedule. Okay, but they only won half their games, or or they didn't. They're not even winning a majority of their games. At some point, the tough schedule's got to be thrown out the window, and just understand that as good as the schedule is, they're not good enough for the schedule. And and I feel like I'm in that boat with Augustana, and, and maybe I'm missing it. You all can well, tell me that, but that's where I come from on that vantage point. I, I agree. I I had been voting for Augustana sort of 24, 25 most of the weeks. I've dropped them this time. Just looking through the the resume, they don't actually have that much in terms of great wins. You know, they beat Elmhurst once and they beat Stevens Point. And, and you know, their losses are, are losses. They they should not have taken that many. Um, when it comes to Oshkosh, obviously they have some losses you don't like, but they've got a few more nice wins on that resume True. than Augustana does, which is why I don't think I have them as high as Bob does for sure. But um, <laughs> I do have them in there just because I, I feel like they've they've earned it on the floor uh, a, a few times. Well, when I was when I get down to to the end, and I'm trying to not even the end, but I'm trying to compare teams, and this is impossible to do. But I always say, if Team So and So played Wisconsin Oshkosh's schedule, what would oh, let, uh, Yeshiva? If Yeshiva played Oshkosh's schedule, and I'm voting for Yeshiva, by, by the way. If they played Oshkosh's schedule, what would their record be? They'd have more wins, just uh, so you know. <laughs> I guarantee they wouldn't have one loss. I promise you that. No. Right? If, if right. You, play, you go to North Central, Augustana, you play Elmhurst, you play Emory, you play all those Wyack teams twice. Who else am I missing? St. Norbert. Um, what would Yeshiva's record be? And I guarantee you, Dave, you wouldn't be voting for Yeshiva if Yeshiva played Oshkosh's schedule. I'm just saying, playing devil's advocate, um, I, I think that you have to kind of balance these teams that are playing these crazy, crazy tough schedules and uh, versus the teams like in Albertus Magnus that are not. I don't disagree with that point, and that's why I also have ceilings. You know, everybody gave me a hard time uh, a few years ago when I said that Benedictine, until I could see late and see more, which came for the tournament basically, was going to have a ceiling for me because there was only so much that they could do in the conference schedule to prove anything. That, yes, if they played in a different conference or whatever, they'd have a different record. That's where I have it. So Yeshiva has a ceiling for me. They came up a couple of places with St. Joseph today for me, but they're not 
very high in my poll. That's with that in mind. But I can't flip around and say, well, yeah, Augustana was playing Yeshiva's schedule. I know they probably have no losses as well, but they're not. And then that's where I have to finally cut bait at some point and say, listen, I'm not putting a seven-loss Augustana team in at this point. In August with Oshkosh, they've been on the radar. I just They're the ones in that next level that I'm waiting for them to gain momentum because right now it's a loss and then a win and then a loss and then a win and that makes it hard as a voter um before we leave this topic and and jump into the ncaa stuff any surprise teams in the top 25 that you're you're just surprised by that they're either really high they answered the poll or they're not in i mean well i guess we talked about that with oxconch and, and augustana but is there anybody else that just jumps out and you go like whoa interesting I don't think I had any that made the poll that were because the, the teams that all made the poll that I didn't vote for were all teams that I was struggling with at the end. Like I didn't I didn't have Brockport in and I kind of felt bad about that. I don't think I had Babson in and I didn't have WPI and I don't I didn't even have St. Joseph's of Connecticut. And, and I struggle with that. Instead, I put teams like St. Norbert in. Uh, I think I've Texas Dallas in. So I was not surprised by any of the teams. Ryan, I don't know if, if you caught any of these teams and felt like they were surprises, but I, I did not. I, I'm still a little iffy on WPI. Obviously, they've got a good record. They're in a good conference. They've won some of those games. I, I watch it. It just doesn't – I mean, it feels like they've got a real ceiling. Um, you know, it's always a really strong defensive team. Not sure that they, they have the offense that they would need to win in a – you know, in an NCAA tournament setting. So that's the one I'm a, I'm a little iffy on, but obviously it's such a great conference and they've got the record and, and a long history of being good. So, yeah. um, you know, I don't, I don't want to badmouth WPI. My two, my new teams this year were, were this week were Brockport. I do feel like may have put them a little too high. I put them in at 19 St. Norbert at 20, but St. Norbert wasn't new. They were in my poll, the overtime loss or the overtime win at Grinnell just gave me a little bit of a pause or I would have had them higher. Uh, I did put WPI in, basically swapped them for Babson, who I had last week, but Babson was new last week. Uh, I entered Whitworth this week, and I entered Texas Dallas this week. Those were my four new ones. Uh, I took out Elmhurst, uh, only two wins in the last five. I, I just feel like something's amiss, and they're not the team that I was voting for. I took out Benedictine because you can't be losing to MSOE on the road at, in overtime. I took out Babson because the injuries and, and losses, they're just racking up. And I took out Tufts. You can't lose to Middlebury and Williams in the same weekend and stay in my poll, um, especially that NESCAC this year. So there you go. That's top 25. Any, I don't think there's any other thoughts. We can probably jump into our NCAA stuff. I'm just going to blow through it because screw the break. Yeah, I was just going to add on, on Augustana that I do agree with what Ryan said, that they lack – I think they're in a different spot than Oshkosh because they lack – all that many quality wins. They're not quality wins, but like signature yeah. big wins. They don't have a lot. So I do agree. I have them in my poll because I think they're one of the top 25 teams. But I do agree that it's different than Oshkosh for sure. I just wanted to add that. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's a, a great point of view. I appreciate it. All right, let's talk uh, NCAA. I know we got a lot of questions about this. Uh, I know Jay has a question about Yeshiva, and we'll get to that when we get to that. Um, obviously, the postseason's coming up. In two weeks, we're going to be talking about who's in and not in the tournament. We're already starting to look. We've gotten our first regional rankings. We'll really get the true regional rankings this week. Now that results versus regionally ranked opponents is in, the SOS number is a little bit more clear. By the way, if no one listened to my conversation with Matt Snyder about SOS from Thursday's show, you have got to go listen to that. Terrific breakdown of what 
the SOS is, what it's supposed to be measuring, and why it's a little bit flawed right now. I'll tell you right now, we're not changing the formula, and the committee's not going to get rid of the SOS, but at least it gives you an, an idea of what, it, what it's supposed to represent. Guys, at this point, though, we now are entering conference tournaments. It's boom or bust for some, and, and it may be surprise bust for some others if they're not paying attention. I want to start with an SCAC, which gets things going this week. Uh, it's always the craziest thing, to say the least. Uh, it will likely have Pool C implications, shockingly enough. I say that sarcastically. Uh, Ryan, your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, the the most thing, that, biggest thing that immediately jumps out is that you've got Middlebury as the number five team. Uh, Middlebury is likely to be the number one ranked Northeast team in the regional rankings this week. They're the highest uh, voter still. Are they still the highest voter in the poll? Um, well, I guess the they're just a little bit, little bit behind Colby. Yeah, they're um, behind Colby now. But they're having to go to Trinity, where they've already lost this year. Um, and and you've got a Tufts team that's been struggling, that uh, assuming they win this first game against Hamilton, which is no guarantee, uh, you know, they get to host, um, you know, the semifinals and, and the finals. So uh, you've got an Amherst-Williams matchup again. That's always fun. Uh, I, I don't think it's out of the question that you could have all four of the top seeds lose this first game, which will definitely make some Pool C interesting uh, uh business from the NESCAC, so. Yeah, it's going to be a crazy, crazy tournament. The thing is, just the way the SOS numbers work, they tend to be more in the conversation, Bob. Uh, I do get a sense from the committee that, you know, they are understanding of that, and there may be a ceiling to some extent on that SOS. But really, honestly, this is where that double non-double round robin kind of comes into play. Middlebury's number one in the region, number five in their conference, because, well, there wasn't a second round to really shake it all out. It really is big when you start looking at um, the dynamics of the winning percentage. The fact that the NESCAC teams do not play each other twice is a, is a huge factor. And if you think of, you know, pick like the CCIW where you've got teams like Augustana that are having to play, a, you know, a North Central two times. What what if they didn't just have to play North Central last weekend? Where would they be right now? So right. We, we beat this one up a lot of times and, and NESCAC fans probably are sick of it. But it is a really big factor, and I think the committee factors that in. I really believe the last couple of years we've seen evidence that they look at that and they somehow kind of factor in that there's not that double round robin happening in, in, in that conference. Um, I do think we're going to get multiple teams in from the NESCAC, but it also feels like an odd year. This will just be my final thought. I don't think we get nearly as many as we normally do because – the teams have taken a lot of losses this year. I mean, Amherst has got seven losses on the year. Um, I just don't think it's going to be – I mean, Hamilton, talk about a season that just didn't materialize. Um, I just don't think we're going to have as many as we're normally used to, but that is, I think, multiple factors in play. It's not just one. Um, it, seems like we're, it seems like three are safe, though. It seems like Tufts, Middlebury, Colby are going to be in the tournament, it seems to me. And, and then at that point, you know, if let's say Amherst is at the end of the bubble, maybe they could have a shot. But it seems like three from the NESCAC are fairly safe. Well, considering normally at this time we're talking about five. Right. I think that's a pretty big, pretty big difference. Uh, let's jump all the way into the CCIW. We were just kind of talking about that a wee bit. Elmer's kind of stumbling its toe as we come into the close here. Bob is kind of open things up. Yeah, the, the league race has changed a lot in the last two weeks. You know, for a while there it was like a dead tie between North Central and Elmhurst, and it even seemed like Elmhurst had a, had a leg up. But 
North Central has clinched the number one seed in the CCIW. They're sitting there at 12 and two, and uh, they will they would win any tiebreaker here uh, the rest of the way. So the the conference tournament will be in Naperville. Augustana is two games back at 11 and four. Elmhurst, like you mentioned, has dropped a lot of games lately. They're 10 and five. Illinois Wesleyan's nine and five, Wheaton eight and six, Carthage seven and seven. Those are your six teams in the tournament. Now the the thing about the CCIW, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me if any of the six teams won the conference tournament. I mean, the, the way it's set up is you have the top two seeds. Let's say that's North Central Augustana, they get a bye, and then uh, three plays six, four plays five. I just don't see a lot of surprise if let's say a Wheaton were to get hot and roll through and win three games and be the pool a team. Um, Carthage has plenty of talent to do that. Um, so uh, again, I think the CCIW has so much to be decided because these teams are, you know, really fairly even. Ryan, any thoughts on your end? Well, yeah, just the, the interesting thing though, if that happens as opposed to other years, when, when you would be assured of a number of, of probably pool C spots is it's just going to be a lot harder, both with a really strong region um, but just more losses than we're used to seeing from these CCIW teams. I mean, it's a it's it's a real danger that if if there's a you know anyone besides North Central, um, but even they're pretty far down the regional rankings. You know, like that that's a, a going to be very different when it comes selection time as far as the CCIW is concerned. I was looking at the regional ranking possibilities for this week when they add the RRO. And I believe that I think North Central is actually going to move up into like the third spot. I think it's going to be Platteville, Washu, North Central. I think that that Oshkosh and Lacrosse are both going to enter ahead of Augustana. So to Ryan's point, I think you're looking at a scenario where let, let's say that North Central wins the the pool A bed. I think they've got to get. Through, I think a, a CCIW team has to go through Washu as a pool C. And then like a lacrosse, Eau Claire, Oshkosh, before you get to an Augustana. That's a possibility. There's, there's still a lot that can happen. But the CCIW is not in, in really great shape for one pool C, let alone two, like the league usually is. Yeah, I, in fact, North Central is where they are, and Elmer's is where they are, and they, you know, Elmer's had a bad week is is bad news. Again, results versus region ranked opponents is going to shake up that Central just a wee bit. Um, and we'll get a better sense of where the committees are, are looking at all the data. But it, it's, it's tighter this year. It feels a little bit um, of a tighter fit than it, than it has been in the past. And North Central is probably the only one, and I know you've kind of said this, is that, that's in a good spot. It's fascinating to see, but that's true with a, a lot of conferences. I mean, the WIAC is <laughs> kind of in the same boat, but we've gotten used to that over the last few years. Uh, now we get to the Shiva question. Um, I'm going to preface this first by the question we got on the email. Um, if I can figure out how to call it up, because apparently my computer didn't want to do it. Oh, here we go. Uh, so the person emailed us earlier. He said, for the broadcast, goes, if Shiva wins out in the regular season but loses in the Skyline tournament, do they have a shot in an at-large seed with a potential 25-27 to 27 win in two-loss season despite low strength of schedule? Uh, our thing was starting at, they're number two in the region. Uh, with a 483 SOS, um, they're not going to have a ton of results versus region ranked opponents. So if you look at their non-conference SOS, it certainly shows that they went out there to try and improve things. Believe it or not, I know on good measure that they tried to play Hopkins this year uh, and were basically told they, Hopkins wasn't interested. Um, 
I'll just start this on answering the question. I think of all years at SOS being close to 500, I think they're in the conversation. I don't think we have a Lancaster Bible situation where they had an SOS that was closer to the bottom of that 400 level than that is closer to 500. That said, I, this might be a sign that the committee is willing to look a little bit around that SOS and understand that it's a two-loss team. Am, am I right, Ryan, or do you have a different take on it? Well, I mean, the one thing that's going to be to their advantage is most likely if they lose one more game, they're going to be on the table from the very beginning. Um, True. There's so many losses below them in those regional rankings. I don't see anybody jumping over them. You know, it's seven losses back to TCNJ. Yeah. Um, and Yeshiva went out and tried to schedule well, right? It just so well, happens that the teams that they scheduled had terrible seasons. Um, and, and I feel true. like the committee is is – going to look at that and know that, uh, especially as small and as, as sort of insular as that Atlantic region is, um, those those uh, members are, are, are going to know what's there. Um, having uh, It's going to be tough because that is, I mean, they're not going to be over 500 um, if they lose again. But the other part of it is I've watched them a lot, uh, probably m- more than just about any other Gentile out there at least. And uh, <laughs> uh they're not going to lose. They're playing so well right now. They're they're just head and shoulders above the competition in that conference. I just don't see how that's going to happen. Um, you know, I, I don't think that's going to be a concern for Yeshiva this time around. Well, and, and I would say that, you know, Ryan and I make up most of the Oshkosh votes. And, and I think of all the Gentiles out there, we represent 70% of the Yeshiva viewership on, on these ball games that we're watching the streams on. Probably. Because I also, I believe that they are an outstanding team. I don't think they're going to lose in the Skyline tournament. Now, all of this said, we're having a pool C conversation. That's how this started. The last three years, nobody has gotten a pool C bid with an SOS under 0.500, and they're not close to that. They're at 0.483. So it would have to be something where we're like, whoa, that was a that was an anomaly that that happened. Another thing. No one's gotten a pool C bid the last three years with less than three wins versus regionally ranked and with less than seven total games versus regionally ranked. They're one and oh versus regionally ranked. And I don't I don't see where that's going to change before selection Sunday. So they're going to have a terrible SOS. They're going to have in relative terms a terrible RRO. And they're going to get on the board first in the Atlantic. Again, hypothetical here. We think they're going to win the Scotland. They're going to get on the board. They're going to sit there till like round 14, 15. And now here's a here's a scenario for you. Yeshiva is sitting there at the Atlantic, and Wisconsin Oshkosh gets to the board at spot 16. That's the best case you'll ever see of, of how do you interpret numbers. You got Oshkosh with this crazy .600 SOS. All of these wins against regionally ranked 10 games versus regionally ranked. Do you pick Oshkosh or Yeshiva at that point in round 16 that I'm making up? I pick Oshkosh. You guys know I'm, I'm, a, I'm a power conference guy. But I'm just saying the Yeshiva as a pool C is not a lock because of their SOS and, and their RRO. It's just those are bad numbers they have. Right. And the other thing, though, it will be interesting based on our first ranking. We'll, we'll obviously learn a little bit more with the second ranking right. this week is they did seem – to um, give a little more weight to the winning percentage mm-hmm. um, in this first ranking than they have in the last few years, and I know that that we they've been the committee's been very upfront going away from that 
sort of uh, ratio that they've been doing. Oh, yeah, that's done. The .03 to two wins. And it seemed like to me, especially in this first ranking, um, that they went away from that. Um, You know, the the wins mattered this time. Um, Not that SOS didn't, but they definitely, as Matt Snyder talked about on Thursday, you know, it's it's the strength of schedule, not the strength of wins, right? That, that they're recognizing that the teams that win games are important and that you use that strength of schedule as sort of a, a way to judge how good those, those wins are, but not to, to value the team on that number itself. And, and it seems like we're getting more of that this year than we have in the past. Yeah. If this was the women's side, Yeshiva's in, Oshkosh is home because that is what the women have been doing. The women at, at some point go, you just didn't win enough. Um, I, I think it'll be a fascinating conversation, Bob, and, and we'll be doing that in a little, little less than two weeks' time if it gets to that. But I'm kind of the opinion that I go with Yeshiva because at some point it's got to be a, about the fact that you still went out there and won. Nothing against Oshkosh, but people have known how I've stood on this for years, that at some point you didn't win enough games, in my opinion, despite what your schedule says. You're going to have the hardest schedule in the in the country be 500 or it, there's a line, right? At some point, we decided you didn't win enough. That's kind of where I'm getting at. And we um, do have Yeshiva's getting pulled down by their conference as well. Their non-conference SOS is higher than their overall, yep. which which means yep. that they're getting penalized by the conference, and the committee does take that into I consideration. I did look at Oshkosh's S- non-conference SOS. It's a crazy 615. Right. I don't know what to make of that either. But yes, Yeshiva did try and go out there and try to go out there and do even better, I'll, I may add. Uh, just didn't get it to go their way. UAA, regular season. Obviously, no tournament for the UAA. By the way, a little nugget for you new to Division Three. They're the only conference in the entire NCAA. All divisions without a conference tournament. Um, Bob, <laughs> I think the, it's clearer where the conference now stands because of the last weekend. Emory and WashU are, have risen to the top. But is, is there any chance anybody else gets a pool C out of this? Well, there's four teams in the in the conference that are regionally ranked right now, and so you've got Emory and Washu that are tied for the UAA lead. They're both going to make the tournament, whether the A or the C. The question is Brandeis and Rochester. You know, where do they stand at this point? Um, I think they both have to finish well in order to position position themselves for for a pool C. And I was just pulling up the roads the rest of the way. It looks like Brandeis goes. Well, here we go. So they're at home versus WashU. They're at home versus Chicago. And they're at home versus NYU. So those are three home games for Brandeis. Rochester finishes at Case, at Carnegie, and versus Emory. You, you've got probably the, the, the odds here are that Emory and WashU both make, make it. And either Brandeis or Rochester maybe slides in at spot 19-20. I don't, there's not, I don't see four teams getting in. But remember, these teams are all in different regions. They're all on the board in different places. So you have Wash U from the Central, you get Brandeis over here in the Northeast, you get Rochester in the East. And that's an advantage that those teams can sit on the board at the same time. Yeah, I would say the only the only problem though is that you know Brandeis still has to play Wash U and Rochester still has to play Emory. And I think both of those teams have to win those games and all the others. I mean, I don't think either one can afford to lose. Um, Rochester, we've already seen, you know, they're sitting seventh in the East. If they're seventh in the East, when it comes selection time, they're never getting to the table. Right. You know, they, they cannot lose. They can't even be game. fifth. Right. Um, they, they've got to be 
third, probably, in order to get to the table. Um, So they can't lose. And Brandeis, you know, another loss, especially in in the Northeast, is so competitive. They're going to drop pretty far if they get another loss there. Um, That's the one thing is that every game is a must win for both of those teams. They want to get in. Absolutely agree. Um, Brandeis losing two. They may not even be ranked. Uh, They may be. I don't know. Up 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 in the air. Right now, they'll have the results versus regionally. I I know that's going to be a factor and that could help buoy. But I, I just don't see it. I, I, I don't I don't think, you know, Brandeis, great season up until a point. Uh, and unfortunately, it just didn't materialize after that, uh, which is too bad. I was kind of rooting on the judges. Uh, and Rochester, I thought they were darn good this season. It just hasn't worked out for them. It's too bad as well. Um, St. Thomas got a big win over St. John's. Yeah. Um, Question is, Ryan, did they solidify themselves as the number one in the West, which I think some people were a little bit surprised by uh, last week. Um, yep. And maybe do or have have the have the Tommy solidified themselves as maybe one of the places that everyone's going to have to play through in the tournament? Yeah, I, I think given the disparity in SOS between what St. Thomas and St. John's have, even if St. John's comes through and wins that conference tournament, I still think St. Thomas is going to get the hosting duties there. Um, they are the stronger team. The what? The only, I mean, in terms of pool C and and hosting and all of that, I I think they've they've given themselves a great resume, no matter what happens the rest of the way. Um, the one thing I still wonder about St. Thomas is is just they don't start anyone taller than six four, um, <laughs> which is so unusual for that team. Yeah. Um, but obviously they've shown that they can win, especially against a you know a St. John's team that's 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 a lot bigger than that. Um, you may be playing through St. Thomas, but will they still be there the second weekend? That's the question. <laughs> and I think the tough thing about the West is that St. Thomas, as good as their resume is, and it's crazy good, 913 winning percentage, 549 SOS, 4-2 versus regionally ranked. But look at how close these numbers are. Nebraska Wesleyan has the exact same winning percentage, 913 to 913. St. Thomas on SOS was 549, Nebraska Wesleyan's 546. Tie. Uh, results versus regionally ranked St. Thomas four and two, Nebraska Wesleyan four and one. So if you're St. Thomas, if we're talking here about like the whole West region is going to go through them. Um, they have Nebraska Wesleyan right there on their heels could be the number one team in the region based on the way the Tommies finish. Um, so the, the West, the top of the West is, is outstanding. Well, yeah. and we, Go ahead, they got Ryan. the head-to-head. That's that's really the big advantage they've got there is they beat Nebraska Wesleyan this year, and um, that, that's sort of lucky. But I imagine both of those teams will probably be hosting the first weekend. So, Hopefully. Mileage being a factor with Nebraska Wesleyan. Um, we'll see. Um, here's another wrinkle. The second weekend, there's eight sites. The mileage is 500 between opponents, not 500 miles between a central site. We could see a little bit of an elimination game in the Sweet 16 between some really good teams because Nebraska Wesleyan is going to be able to get to St. Thomas. That said, Nebraska Wesleyan may not be able to get to anybody. I haven't done the math, um, and so we could maybe avoid this. But uh, I'm blown away by the fact that St. Thomas, with its five games in non-conference play, put together a non-conference SOS of a 662 for their SOS to be 549. Whereas Pat McKenzie has a non-conference SOS of 449, and they played Nebraska Wesleyan. It tells you the rest of their resume. Eh. Marion, Minnesota Morris, 
Linfield and Willamette. I love Pat, but and I think he's on the committee this year. Couldn't look it up in time. I know he had him on recently. I couldn't remember if he said he's on now or he's been on. I think he was on. I mean, he's on now. This has got to be a wake-up call to St. John's. You need to schedule better. Um, it can't just be the local guys if you want to be in a good position. Um, well, in the old days, I'm, their SOS is below, four, below 500. They're not even in. The, the interesting thing, though, with that is that St. John's chose to spend the money and fly out west the same way that St. Thomas did. But St. Thomas got Whitman and Whitworth. Yeah. And, and St. John's, I don't know if that was the leftovers. I don't know what, what was going on. But they did not get the same know. Uh, SOS out of that. Um, you know, you can't fault them for not traveling. They just didn't pick the right teams um, to, to match up with. You know, St. Thomas's non-conference SOS is only going to keep getting higher as those wits keep <laughs> keep winning games. Um, yeah, they scheduled real well this year. Yeah, I, I'm a little surprised by all of that. All right, let's jump over to uh, the WIAC, which I teased a little bit. Now we'll come back to it. Um, Bob, this feels like a cluster I Oshkosh is playing well, but they're not the team we expected to see at this point in time as the defending national champs. Lost more than they than we thought they would lose in, in terms of manpower, because Duax left early in the season. But they also are in the conversation. Platteville is there. Lacrosse is there. There's probably gonna be a wild card because this tournament is wild. Is this a, a WIAC that can get multiple teams in outside of our outside the box talk about Oshkosh? Absolutely, for sure. For, for, for a second, just to sure. kind of simplify, Wisconsin Platteville is one of the best teams in in the in Division Three based on their their resume, right? So they're sitting. Um, I don't have their official tournament numbers in front of me. Let's actually take a look at them. So Platteville's in great shape at. Uh, 857 winning percentage, 554 SOS, and 3-0 versus region rank. So Platteville is a team you could build a bracket around. Now, let's for a second, let's not think of Oshkosh's non-conference woes. They are one game back in the best team in Division Three. They're eight and they're they're nine and three, and Platteville's ten and two. Uh, Oshkosh finishes with Whitewater and at River Falls. That's two and zero right there. So they're, they're going to finish your 11-3 and three in the WIAC. And, you know, we've both been to, to, to a lot of Final Fours, and we've all been to Final Fours. Remember all those banners hanging up in the rafters of the Civic Center and now Fort Wayne with those WIAC names on it? I mean, to me, if you're 11-3 if you're, if you're in, the, in the WIAC or 9-3 right now, you're a really, really good team. So I know they had a bad non-conference schedule. They lost some games and surprises. But I think Oshkosh is playing themselves in to the central region ranking. I think Eau Claire's already in the ranking uh, based on how they finished during the mix. And I think Lacrosse is going to enter the central region ranking. So I think the WIAC, if I was doing an over-under, I think the WIAC's going to get two pool seabeds. I think Stevens Point's done, but I think the WIAC's going to end up getting two pool seabeds somehow. Yeah, so that's three teams in from the WIAC? I... Well, I I mean, a lot of so. it'll come down to these games, obviously. You know, Bob mentioned Oshkosh has two games they should win coming down, which will actually get them up over the 667. Um, 
that that we typically see as as sort of the floor for the winning percentage. The one is the other is Eau Claire has Platteville and Lacrosse coming up, mm-hmm. so those are going to be huge games for them. Um, Lacrosse has has a bit of a lower SOS, and so that's going to also matter for them what their winning percentage looks like. Um, you know, they're at five thirty two right now, which for a Wyack team is is sort of incredibly low. Um, you know, th- these last two games and the tournament. Right. Who loses in the first round of the conference tournament is that's going to be a big change in winning percentage. Um, you got to win that first game uh, no matter who you are. Maybe Platteville's the only one that's really safe, but everybody else, um, you know, you it's must win all the yeah. way through. And you're playing against each other. The other issue with the, this is the, the two best leagues or, you know, two of the top four in the same region. So the CCIW and the WIAC are together. A lot of this is where the CCIW teams end up in the pecking order in the Pool C process. I think it's helped the WIAC that Elmhurst is in a little bit of a tailspin and Augustana just lost to North Central and that Illinois Wesleyan just lost to Wheaton because Illinois Wesleyan was, was probably knocking on that, that ranking door. So all of a sudden now the WIAC teams like Oshkosh and Lacrosse are starting to get in the Central Region mix. And that could flip in the next week based on results here. So I, I think you have in the central something very unique, which is that the, the quality of tournament caliber teams goes well beyond the eight teams that are ranked in the region. And it just depends on the order that they come up in the process. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with this thought just now. If Oshkosh is in the pool C situation, they're sitting there with nine or ten losses. And I think we're now at a point where it doesn't matter your SOS. You've you may not have won enough. I know they got in in the past that way, and, and I understand that. Well, but ten, that was two, what four years, three years ago. I think things have changed. They won't get in with ten. I, no. nine's the only way they get in. No, I was just, and, and that's yeah. Even that is going to be iffy. Um, no, you're right. I think ten, they're dead. I just, I'm not. I don't want to make any assumptions. I'm assuming. We're assuming one loss in the tournament. I don't want to assume that this week they don't take a loss either. I don't want to make. Yeah, I agree. I think at ten losses they're dead, but even nine, I think is crazy. I think I'd be surprised if the Wyack gets three teams in, unless it's because Platteville lost, and they're a rubber stamp, right? And then somebody else is able to position themselves ahead of Oshkosh. Uh, if Oshkosh is going to get a C, I think it's because they lose the conference championship. I'm not sure that they Possibly, they yeah. really have the resume to get one if they don't get that far. Because that extra win, um, you know, is will help the winning percentage, and that's really what we're looking at at this point. They're right. just right on that cusp. Um, you know, taking one more loss, they're they're going to need both of these regular season wins and probably two in the tournament as well. Didn't somebody just last season? Didn't we have a, a really low? Winning percentage, WIAC team get in. Uh, uh, these years are all running together. Was did lacrosse get in just last year with a mm-hmm. with a six? Ten, ten losses, right? Yeah, right. So and, but and last year was last year. I think we were in that middle of the road where we saw some plays towards the win loss, but we still had a strong strength of schedule number conversation, and and that's where one coach coming up to me not related to this conversation, made a comment about how they did against X and Y and Z in their SOS. And, well, the top 50 in the SOS, we were this. And in the top 75, we were this. And I think 
in the offseason, that was reevaluated. And I think there was a – and I'm not getting this any straight. This is just me reading the tea leaves. I think there was an understanding that some of this – and that's kind of why I had Matt on. We're talking about the SOS in a weird way. The conversation I had with that coach was, from his vantage point, it made it seem to me like he thought the SOS somehow represented how good they were as a team. That's just how it came across. And I think that is where things got misconstrued. And I do feel this year, that's why I want to say, I I feel like the brakes have been pumped a little bit on going, listen, SOS is a great number. It tells us how good a team is, but it, or, or their schedule is, but it doesn't tell us how good a team they are. Well, if you look the, the the case that I was talking about last year, I just found it. So lacrosse got in at 654 winning percentage, 574 SOS, 4-4 and four regionally ranked. Oshkosh right now is sitting at 652, 613 SOS, and 3-6 and RRO. And you figure in the WIAC tournament they probably pick up another win potentially over regional rank before losing if they're a pool C. I mean, you may be right, Dave, that there's some kind of off-season change in interpretation. But just last year, the same committee chairs group put in lacrosse. They also put in Ramapo at 667. We put Ramapo in. And five six and what yeah, and, and again just two years ago, Oshkosh got in at six thirty. But if we just look at last year, but two years ago, the six thirty that was the that was the ratio being used. So we got to throw that year out now. But what about just last year? La- Lacrosse gets in at six fifty four, and Oshkosh yep. is going to have a better resume than that. And if 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 Oshkosh is sitting on that table, and your choices are kind of like ho hum, seven eighty five twenty two and two, I think I know who's going to seven eighty. I don't think makes the so, argument, Bob. But if you have Yeshiva there sitting in at 900, I think that's a dead argument. Well, the point is, it depends on who they're up against. The The two variables this year, one is I think other parts of the country have better resumes overall than last That's year. You've true. got more teams with with stronger overall resumes. And then the other one, the thing Dave and I talked about off offline, behind the scenes, the one that's been really interesting to me was the committee put Wittenberg over Worcester this week in the regional rankings. So this is one of those textbook, Wittenberg has four wins more than Worcester, but Worcester is .06 ahead on the SOS, and they had a head-to-head win at the time over Wittenberg. That's been evened out now. But it was very clear that the committee said with that choice that winning percentage is going to matter more when there's a when there's a, a a battle between the winning percentage and the SOS, and I think you know we're not just talking about comparing Oshkosh to some of the other teams in the central region, we're talking about comparing them to all these other teams at the table, and I think you're going to have a lot more higher winning percentage um, comparisons. You know, if that if that lacrosse team from last year were up on the table this year, I don't think it would even be a chance because I think they're going to have tougher competition across the board in other regions. I think the big factor will be this regional ranking, where does Oshkosh end up in the central if they do? If Oshkosh does not appear in the central ranking this week at their 652, then I think they're in trouble the rest of the way. But if Oshkosh ends up where I think they're going to end up, which is in the ranking, and not last, 
I think they're I think that's the committee saying six what's six whatever is good enough to be at the table. And so let's just see where this ranking plays out. I could be dead wrong and Oshkosh is not even considered for the central, but I just think when I look at their numbers, I think they're probably going to be regionally ranked like six or something like that. I mean, we'll, well see. We'll, we'll have to see. Cause the other one was that Rochester case as well, where they ended up so far down in the East region, even though their SOS was almost a full 10th better than most of those teams that they're behind. Um, it just felt like in that first ranking that the the winning percentage mattered a lot more than it has the last couple of years. Tenth, not hundredth, full tenth. Yeah. Um, by the way, Bob, one other just to throw that out is, is Oshkosh has in its back pocket something that's very significant. They're competing with Augustana for positioning, and they wanted Augustana. Now look, yep. the committee doesn't know that Augustana played that game without Micah Martin, and I don't think Austin Elledge played, but that doesn't matter. Um, Oshkosh beat Augustana. So if this is kind of like a tie, I mean, they want to add Augustana. That's a, you know, that's a big head-to-head. So I, I'm intrigued. I, and interested to I don't see think Augustana is getting in. I don't think that makes this argument. Augustana is real close to but here, being in pretty good shape, though. But, Bob, here's yeah. another one. We're talking about discounting the NESCAC SOS numbers, which are sky-high, too. We can't then also not discount SOS numbers that are sky-high for other programs because we don't like the NESCAC's conference tournament structure. They're not going to have that conversation in the committee. They're going to look at SOS numbers and at some point go, well, this is sky high. We need to, it's almost like a bell curve in my opinion. I think they're going to look at the, ex- the extremes of those and go, okay, it's down near 400 on this SOS. I don't think we can just flat out punish them. Let's put that aside. Whoa, it's way over 600. Let's not reward them immediately. Let's put that aside. And then they go to everything else. Well, we've got the real bellwether in the Central is how far Benedictine falls. They lost one game this week. Um, They were, I thought, much higher than I would have expected at three last week. Um, You know, they've still they've got still got a pretty terrible SOS, but they're three and O against regionally ranked opponents. And so, you know, if they're still in the top half of that ranking, it's showing us something about what the SOS means, and I, you know. And if they've, you could justify dropping them out entirely with that one loss they took this week. And why shouldn't they still be ranked? That means something. What? Why fall. shouldn't they be ranked? Oh yeah. I'm not saying they shouldn't. I'm no, just no, saying no. it's going to tell us a lot. But is there an argument they shouldn't be ranked? I, I think you could make that argument based I, on how bad the SOS is, especially from the way it's been done in previous years. I think Benedictine is going to fall out of the ranking this week due to. Their SOS and, and mostly their SOS is a four ninety four. Yeah, it's basically a five hundred. This isn't Lancaster Bible at four forty. But again, that four ninety four. If we're looking historically, that that's an SOS that doesn't get you a pool C bid. Hold on, we've never had a pool C team with an SOS at five hundred or a smidge below it ever. Our conversations with pool C's have always had SOS numbers that are significantly below 500. They're not next door sitting on top of 500 like Benedictine's is. And, and we can't say that historically. Also, we're in the second year of not using that stupid ratio. So we can't talk about anything from three years ago or right. two I'm years ago. They, I'm not saying they shouldn't be ranked. I'm saying no, where know, they but are I'm ranked we, will tell us something. But we can't use this 494 isn't good enough. It's basically a 500 SOS. We've never had a team 
on the table with that close an SOS. I'm saying it's not, I'm not using 494 as it's not good enough. I'm saying that there's other options. You're talking, you're, you're in the best region in the country and you're, you're talking about the difference between should Benedictine be ranked or Eau Claire, La Crosse, Oshkosh, Augustana. It's not that Benedictine's bad. By no means are they bad. They won at North Central. But there's all these good resumes. And if you lose in the Central, like Elmhurst is going to fall out, I think. Elmhurst is a pretty good team. It's got a pretty good resume, right? They're 792, 5-27, 3-3. They're probably out. So Benedictine, I'm just saying it's going to fall out because their resume isn't going to be as good as some of these teams that are now knocking on their door. After so why should St. John's be ranked? What's that? Why should St. John's be ranked? Well, because well, they've the, got the winning percentage. Yeah, the winning percentage is a lot better than Benedictine's. Barely. It's a difference of one loss. Dave, Benedictine's 826, right? Benedictine yeah. is 19 and 4. Yep. They play five non conference games, which is almost identical to St. John's, who is what, 20 and 3? 22 and 2. 22 and 2. So if they're yeah. both. But their SOS number, St. John's, is worse. It's a different region, yep. though. It's a different region. Behind St. John's is But we know Whit- from St. Thomas that St. John's can schedule. Whitworth, Loris, Buena Vista, Pomona, Pitzer, Augsburg. It's a different the, – the depth of the region is way different. That's why they're ranked. But my point being is you're not willing to discount St. John's, and you think they're going to get in that large bid, but their SOS is going to be below 500, the same way Benedictine is. St. John's. Remember, this is across the board doing it universally. They don't look at each region and let it be a different set of rules. St. John's has a win over St. Thomas. Right? Benedictine has a win over North Central. Right? Washed out. But again, we're talking about ranking in the region, Dave. We're talking about stacking teams up in a region. One region. But the National Committee is going to overrank them. And they're going to make sure that the National Committee says this all the time to us. Each region has to do the same thing every other region is doing. Yeah. So you can't make an argument for St. John's that's X and not make the same argument for Benedictine because the National Committee is going to make sure that the arguments are the same. Well, I guess what I'm saying is Benedictine was at three, and they had very, very similar resumes to the teams at four, five, and six. Yeah. Right? And so you could easily say with the one win that Benedictine had and none of those other teams lost – you could drop them to sixth place minimum because they had very similar resumes. And then you're looking at those WIAC teams coming in. I'm just saying the difference between six and out is not that far. And that will tell us something, whether they're sitting in a sixth place or whether they're just out. That's and both of those are possible. You've got to rank them in the region. The difference between being like fourth in the central and ninth is razor thin. It's like one loss. Whereas – in the West, St. John's has buffer because those teams, like Loris, doesn't have a very good winning percentage. All of a sudden, Buena Vista doesn't. Pomona Pitts or who's ever down there, Augsburg, you have to still stack them up in the region. And the Central is tougher to be ranked than it is in the West. That's and just the fact. Also so, beat St. Norbert, and they've beaten yep. Letourneau. So they've got a good resume with a re- basically an SOS of 500. And that's going to increase, by the way. Because in the conference tournament, they'll at least get better uh, teams to play against. They won't play the bottom of that conference. My point being, I understand that the, that the gap is there. 
But you've made an argument that St. John's is going to make the tournament despite a, a below 500 SOS. Well, the argument's got to have to be the same for Benedictine, who has a better SOS number. I don't know that I've I don't know that I've made the case that St. John's is going to make the tournament. Have I said they're a pool C bid? That's what we talked about earlier, did we not? Well, and I think the difference was we were talking about St. John's getting in, which is another, you know, five games down the line versus Benedictine getting ranked based on the games they've played currently, yeah, um, okay. which is a, which is a difference. I think but I don't um, think Benedictine drops out of the rankings and then makes a miraculous return to a spot that guarantees them a pool C bid. I don't think that they drop out of the rankings, but I, I don't think, think they drop we, out at all. I think they stay right. I think they drop to maybe five at the worst. Yeah, I'm. I'm just saying. I don't think those don't. bottom teams, with the gaudy SOS numbers, are going to have the argument that they've had in the past because of the .03 to two game thing, and because coaches have had this thought that the some coaches, not all, have had this thought that the SOS dictates something. I and and we have this argument with the NESCAC that they have these gaudy SOS numbers. And these insane win-loss numbers, and they get a ton of teams in, and we don't think it's fair. Well, we can't then flip around and say, well, Oshkosh has a gaudy SOS number and, and, and not a great win-loss percentage, but they deserve to be in. And then I'll flip it on this. Remember when we had the once-ranked, always-ranked? And Randolph had an insane number of results versus regionally-ranked opponents. Only Randolph-Macon had it worse, or had it had it better. Randolph got in because of that number. The VRRO is good. It gives us information that we need, but it's not a be-all or end-all. And right now, Oshkosh is what, three and six? Three and six, I believe. I think that's right. I don't know if that necessarily carries the weight either for him. Nine games tells you you played nine games, but you lost two-thirds of them. So I don't know if that weight is there. I, I think we... I know I made this argument last year and we were proven wrong and I was proven wrong on a couple of the selections. Ramapo I went on board with, um, the, but I thought, you know, other teams should have gotten in too and not lacrosse. I think this year we, we move further away and towards more of an understanding that you can't all be about the SOS and it can't all be about, great, you played a lot of teams, but you didn't win. That's, that's where I'm trying to get at. And I think we have to understand too that the argument has got to be somewhat universal. I understand it's harder to get ranked in the Central. I, I, I get that. I get there's a lot of good teams there. That doesn't mean we throw out the same principles that are governing all the other regions, too. Is kind of what I was trying to get at. I don't know if I said it well enough. We'll get a real good indication this week. Wednesday, right. right? Wednesday. I think what, when we see the Central... Oh, I absolutely agree with you. This yeah. week. We're, we're, if Oshkosh gets in, all of a sudden that changes how we look at this. If Benedictine drops down to like spot eight or out, that also tells us something. So we don't have to wait too long to see how this plays out. I mean, who knows? We don't know how the, the, the toughest part of this process is that they interpret these three data points a little bit inconsistently from region to region, year to year. Uh, who knows? I just I feel like Oshkosh is emerging based on all the numbers. I feel like they're emerging as a very competitive 
central region team that you can rank now. But again, I could be wrong. We'll see. I agree that we'll learn more Wednesday. And that's why I say to everybody, the first regional rankings are nice. Dips our toe in the water. Kind of get an idea of what's going on. As Ryan points out, we kind of understand maybe how a committee's reading data. But it's this set of regional rankings that finally gives us a sense of what's really real. And it's also why I wish we had one more set of regional rankings. Mm-hmm. I-, I wish the toe in the water one was further out than three weeks. I wish the toe in the water was a month out and then we get real serious three weeks out. And, and that's another conversation. But that's why I've always said people will contact me. Hey, what do you think so-and-so's chances are? I want to see Wednesday's rankings because then we have all the data being used. We get a much better sense of the of the landscape. We get a much better sense of how the results versus regionally ranked is being played out. And, and obviously a lot changes in two weeks. I'm not dismissing that, but I agree with you. Wednesday gives us so much better picture of things moving forward than than last Wednesday. And when we're in Fort Wayne, Dave, and Oshkosh is one of those eight teams playing there, you're, you're, <laughs> you're buying all the beers that night. Deal? Are we on? Deal? Well, first off, isn't there a night I'm already buying all the beers? Yeah, I guess that's true. But <laughs> you know what I'm saying. You don't know. No, I'm kidding. I'm, uh, I'm just, no, no, I see your point. No, listen, again, a lot can change in two and a half, three weeks here um, and, and change this conversation. This all could be for mute and, and be null and voided. In some, I mean, Oshkosh could lose every single game the rest of the way. They could win every single game the rest of the way, win the automatic qualifier, and this was a wasted effort all, all along. Um, so, yeah, again, a lot can change. It's fun to chat it up and, 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 and get it out there. I just, I, I just, I've said that I'd, I'd like to go into this year's mock rankings like we've done them in the past, or like that we've done in the past. I want to go in this year with a, with a different approach of taking an adage of, Let's not worry so much of what the committee's actually going to select and try and mimic them, but pick them the way we feel they should be picked. And in that sense, maybe rewarding a yeshiva if they're there because they, they have such a gaudy win-loss. And I'm, I'm making this stuff up. Instead of trying to guess, well, what do we think the committee's going to do? Um, I think this is going to be a great year for that. And as Ryan pointed out, because I think we got great resumes around the country in a lot of regions Whereas in the years past, it's been a little bit more isolated. Well, or they've at least been closer together, right? Fair. Like you just haven't seen sort of the the central kind of amassed losses that we have this year that that um, really make things different, right? The central yeah. region is very competitive in and of itself, true. But their pool C candidates may not be as competitive as they have been in previous years. That's a good point. Um, and that's really what I, we, we just don't know how it's going to be ranked um, till after Wednesday. No, that's a good point. And that's true, Bob. There's about a lot more losses. No one's, no one's standing out except for maybe Platteville in that central region as, as in it, it's parody, but the central is a microcosm of it. Is, is it not? I would agree with that. This is, I think I've said that pretty consistently all year is that the central region doesn't have the firepower at the top that it usually does. But the, the unique thing about it this year is down to about 14 teams. You have 14 teams that are probably good enough to be in the tournament. I just don't know that you've got – Platteville probably is a team you say, hey, they could be in the final four. Um other than that, you know, Wash U, don't know, North yeah. Central, 
Sure. Um, there's just a lot. There's teams that have lost a lot of games in the Central Region. There's no question about that. So, I mean, we'll just see how this plays out. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm, 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 listen, parity has, has made it fascinating across the board. Uh, the tournament's going to be well, wide open, as we've mentioned, for, for a while now. And a lot of good teams are not going to make the tournament. Plain and simple. From every region, there's going to be people losing their minds because someone didn't make it. Because we're going to have knockouts in the conference tournament, and we're going to be stuck with the numbers that we have to use to make selections. I, I leave you on this. Do we think there's a top 25 team that maybe isn't going to make the tournament this year? Is it possible? I mean, obviously, Yeshiva is the biggest. Yeah, yeah I mean, they're going to have the hardest. If they don't win their, their pool A, they're going to have the hardest time getting in. Um, well, lacrosse is a top 25 team, and, and, and we're not even sure if they're going to be regionally ranked in the Central. I think they are, but they could eat. Lacrosse could be out. Um, I think the answer is uh, absolutely, Dave. There's going to be there's going to be a few top 25, maybe two or three, that don't end up in that tournament. Most likely, I think most years though that happens, and um, I didn't think I don't think that would be that unique, really. No, not necessarily unique. I just know it's always a talking point for people. <laughs> Or maybe one of those NESCAC teams that's currently ranked. I'd have to think more about that, but some of them could end up on the bubble. Um, well, I don't think WPI and Babson both get in the tournament. I was just going to say that. I think that would be hard for them both to do that. Um, look well, St. Yeah. Joseph's another one. If they don't win their conference, Possibly. that's going to be a bubble for them for sure. Yeah. I would say from Virginia Wesleyan up, I mean, everyone looks again. Yeshiva well, would be fascinating if they didn't win that. If Yeshiva is a pool C team and Oshkosh is a pool C team, I mean, Dave, you and I would just be enthralled by watching that process play out. Like, I would come to your house and we would, we would just listen to the selections together. Of course, you'll be on the show talking about it. But I would well, just be. You have already seen me do it, and then we're listening to it again. Yeah, I would. Right, I'd want to be in your living room watching you deliver the news to me. I would do that. I'm all in. You're well, always welcome, Virginia, sir. <laughs> Virginia Wesleyan was the interesting one. Somebody asked me about them today. They took the loss this week. Yeah, their I'm SOS right. is sitting only at five twenty-two. That's that is one that would be an interesting case because uh, you know anything can happen in that ODAC tournament, and if they don't win it, um, they'll definitely be on the bubble for sure. Anything <laughs> does happen in that ODAC tournament, There's gentlemen. Gotten, gotten like progressively sucky, you know, like Elmhurst. Elmhurst, we uh, they were shooing, and then all of a sudden you look up and they've lost. Uh, I think Virginia Wesleyan's kind of like quietly doing that to us right now, so we'll see. Yeah, what has Virginia Wesleyan done? I know they lost to Emory and Henry. Well, that was their first loss in seven they're, games, six games. They're still, yeah, they're still awfully good, they're still in good shape. But the ODEC tournament does it, it causes curveballs every year, and of course, we have to wait for the four o'clock game to finish. Um, <laughs> sorry, sl- subtle shout out to my friends. All right, guys, I took way more time than I expected tonight, um, but it was a fun conversation. Really appreciate your time and joining me on the show. Um, and, and so thank you. This segment wasn't supposed to go an hour. <laughs> it did. Um, I, I know my wife is wondering what the heck I'm up to. I'm not sure what your wives are, are wondering what you're up to. Maybe they don't care. Um, I'll leave. So we'll leave it on that. Any final thoughts? Ryan, I'll start with you. All right, so I, I wore the shirt today i gotta i gotta put the shout out we've got the new conference wednesday night both the men and women from enc are playing up at new england college and a win for either team means they're hosting the conference tournament so uh, i'm excited about that and uh, uh 
you know, this is the second year in the new conference and we're doing very well. So I'm excited about that too. <laughs> well put, sir. Bob, your final thought. Um, I also have a shirt on. Uh, my team lost on a 36 foot banked in three points. Yeah, I was told to that, call that play up for you. Yeah, uh, so that that really sucked. Uh, Dave, you were very much on your game tonight. I like uh, where you're going with some of these uh, Pool C conversations. And I really hope my parting thought is that Oshkosh and Yeshiva are on the table in round 15. And I'm just, that's all I'm rooting for the rest of the season. So you've done a nice job tonight, Dave. Um, yeah, well, thank you, sir. I, I'm not going to share the text I got, but there was somebody who uh, would actually would love to see those two teams get to the t- two get to the table too. But I don't think for the same reasons that we have. Um, but you sure you don't want me to show that last shot, Bob? I do not want to see uh, that shot ever again, and I've destroyed everything that I have that has that shot on it. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll make it's sure you a burner phone then to show it to you in, in four way. <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for the time. Uh, I know we'll get you on quite a bit in the next coming uh, weeks and, and, and whatnot, so I appreciate the time, really. Uh, Bob, door's always open if you want to stay here, my friend. And, uh, Thank you, guys. We'll see you soon, and uh, it, it's the best time of the year, so let's get it done, guys. It is. Guys, take care. Thanks so much. Ryan Scott, Bob Quillman joining me on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline via Skype. Really appreciate it. They, they took a lot of time tonight. And I appreciate it. We did get a note from several who were listening that they thought the conversation was great tonight. We did not expect to go that long, um, but it was because the conversation was so good. I didn't want to stop it, Um, but I appreciate you tuning in and staying with us. Uh, Not as many of you asked questions, but that's fine. We asked our own crazy questions and kept things moving along. Uh, Quick programming note. Thursday will be on the air at 7 o'clock Eastern time like we normally are. Uh, Sunday will be on the air, normal time, 7 o'clock Eastern time. The following Thursday will be on the air, 7 o'clock Eastern time as well. And then uh, next two weeks from now, the Sunday, March 1st, we'll go on, let's just say 6 o'clock for now. We'll confirm it later when we do do our mock selections. This week, I'm working on getting the teams put together for that. You might see Ryan and Bob on that show as well. Um, and we'll do the mock selections and all that. This year, I'm hoping to not necessarily be the ringleader. I will be, but I'm going to try and manage it more so you can enjoy it on the screen more so that the guys can break it down a little bit differently. Once again, our, our uh, goal went over 3000 tonight. Thank you so much. We're at 3,200 and a little bit more than that. Wanted to hit by 5,000. We'll keep that goal technically alive to about midday tomorrow, just so anybody who's watching the show delayed can react to it. We then up the goal tomorrow. The goal will be raised with the March 1st being our final, March 1st or 2nd being our final day. I want to thank uh, Charlie Avercamp from uh, Avercamp from Benedictine. I'm never going to get his last name totally right. Trent Milby from Berea. Jake Ross from Springfield and Dean Burroughs from Wesley. I want to thank their sports information directors as well from Benedictine. Of course, that's our friend Tim Calderwood from Berea. Uh, we had a, a, an SID I've never worked with. I want to really thank um, uh, Kevin for his time. Uh, from Springfield, of course, it's always uh, fun to chat with Brian and from Wesley, ta- uh, working with a, a new SID there myself, Allison, for her time for the help as well. We'll take a break for until Thursday. We'll be back on the air Thursday. Got a unique segment I'm hoping to put together for that show as well, plus the WBCA Center Court. Brian Scott's alma mater may or may not be on that show, actually. we got to touch base with them, see if we can organize it 
for Thursday. You've been listening to Hoop Show presented by D3Hoops.com. I want to thank our partners at Blue Frame Technology for hosting the Hoop Show Hotline and the platform for our broadcasts. If you have any questions about streaming or the production truck software that they have, go to BlueFrameTech.com. That's BlueFrameTech.com. Tell them I sent you or you heard about it on the show. I also want to thank our partners at the Women's Basketball Coaches Association and National Association of Basketball Coaches for their help. And I want to thank all of you who've donated to the show as well. We will double-check our total ahead of Thursday's show uh, when you'll see that new goal. But please uh, share it around, too, that uh, we're looking to secure our show for the future. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Really appreciate it. Thanks to Bob and Ryan, especially, for being on the show. You've been listening to Hoopsville. If you want to talk Division Three basketball, you've got to listen to Hoopsville from the WBCA and ABC studios. See you on Thursday, everybody.